Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, 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 Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are really hoping that at the end of the show, Brady Kachuk's not going to call us a brickhead. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as usual, to break down all the latest hot streaks and cold streaks from around the NHL, it's my friend and yours, the fantasy hockey robot, the poobah prognostication, the IPP MVP, or should I say the points participation MVP, as you've been referencing it more lately, uh, Brad Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us. And Elon, I just want to right off the top say that you are the anti Brendan Lemieux. Like you are the guy that everybody wants on their team. And you're not going to have to beg for a, a podcasting job if if somehow this one doesn't work out. Uh, I, you're amazing. And Brendan <laughs> Lemieux would oh. be nothing like you if he, if he was on a podcast. So you're saying if I was put on waivers like Matt Murray <laughs> or Evander Kane, I would actually get claimed. I wouldn't go, have to go to the minors. Right. Without having to beg for a job as, as Brendan would do. Because you don't do the things that babies do. <laughs> when we're recording live. It was such a good rant. And I actually just, uh, I retweeted just before we went live. Someone on Sen's Twitter got Gilbert Gottfried to read the full Brady Kitchat quote. And it's as good as you'd think. Uh, so go check that out on the internet now. But also if you don't, if it didn't come across on your feed, uh, follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, Brian, let's do a quick ranking. Who's more likely to have a job in the NHL next year between uh, Brandon Lemieux, Matt Murray, and Evander Kane? Wow. Like, it's so easy to say that none of them are going to have a job in the NHL. My guess is that Evander Kane is going to be the likeliest. Although also knowing the NHL, a league that, you know, had Colton Orr employed as a player for so long, I don't see why. Brendan Lee might not have a job next year because there does seem to be a niche for guys like him. Uh, Matt Murray just seems like the longest shot because of his contract. But I don't know, Elon. This is a really good question. I could see valid reasons for none of them being in the league, but also like, you know, sort of loopholes for why they would be in the league. Who do you think is most likely? Uh, probably Vander Kane. Like, he's actually a good yeah. player, as long as he could get everything yeah, I think you know, straight. <laughs> I mean, Tony D'Angelo is in the league and, you know, thriving right now. So why can't he Vander Kane? Right. If the question is, who is the best hockey player of the three? Like, assuming that that is what's going to shine through and be the determinant, then yes, it will be Vander Kane. All right. So anyway, that and more coming up on this episode of Keeping Carlson. Like I hinted at in the intro, the plan for today is a good old fashioned classic Keeping Carlson mega show. Okay. I got a list of players on cold streaks. We're going to, you know, tear the band aid off. We're going to do the bad news first. We're going to go through a bunch of players that are letting us down. And that's going to like clear the fridge out. You know, Brian's going to tell us which of these slumping players we can maybe drop, consider swapping out of our lineups. And then we're going to end the show. I've got a slew of players on hot streaks, a lot of them less than 25% rostered on Yahoo. And then we'll be able to start comparing. These players on hot streaks to the guys on cold streaks. 
It's going to be great. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to get to that in just a sec. Of course, I got to mention that Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. It's really cool that we get to say this every week, right? Because that's the site that I've gone to forever for all of my fantasy hockey advice. The articles are great all the time. There's a great Twitter follows. Ian Gooding is a really good Twitter follow. Michael Clifford, like the, the whole crew, right? The fro- tools at Frozen Tools, phenomenal. I use them to prep the show and to you know plan my years and days of fantasy. So it's just really great. DauberHockey.com, check it out. Uh, and then Brian, I guess we need an update on our contest for reviews, the iTunes reviews. I think there's only one week left for people to get their reviews in in order to win a cool piece of Keeping Carlson merch, right? Yeah, there's a contest we've been running where uh, for the last couple of weeks, if you head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, a five-star review, like the one with a written comment, we will put you in a raffle to win a sweet, sweet piece of Keeping Carlson merch. And the reviews are rolling in and we really appreciate all of all of these beautiful things that people uh, are sharing about us, even if it is just because they want the shirt, uh, I'm going to look past that and assume you're all being completely sincere anyway. You have until the end of November to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for us, um, and uh, we'll be really happy to draw your name. Uh, but make sure if you've left a review, you also like send us a tweet like proving that you left us the review. So when we do the draw, we can actually get in touch with you and get your info to send you the shirt. So thanks so much to everybody who has been leaving us reviews, including Mikey Walsh, who a few days ago called us the Alex Ovechkin of Fantasy Hockey Podcast, because as Mikey says, they've been around for years. And just when you think these guys are toast, who the, I, I mean, I'm sorry, we at one point seemed like toast, but... So they can't, they just get better defying all age curves, defying the naysayers who have the, who say they have annoying voices and defying anyone who says this pod is too long. Like Ovi, Brian and Elon are must listen, total nonstop action to Hall of Famers in the making. So thanks, Mikey Walsh, for the Hall of Fame review. And you can add yours to get your name in our raffle, our Michael raffle for a sweet, sweet piece of Keeping Carlson merch. Mikey! All right. Thank you, Mikey. And now, Brian, let's get on with the show. Okay, so I said we're going to talk about cold streaks to start. And I want to start in Edmonton, where the Oilers are doing great. They've won four of their last five games after their 3-2 win over Vegas yesterday. But that win, the fact that they're doing well, is probably bad news for Jesse Pugliarvi, as he hasn't been a big part of it, right? He's been bumped to the bottom six recently. And with the Oilers doing well, I don't see them being in a rush to get him back on that line with McDavid. It seemed like such a sure thing, you know, a couple weeks into the season, like, this is going to be a pair like maybe like dry side will come on and off the top line but you know it's going to be for sure mcdavid pooley and then someone like hyman or dry or someone but no pooley has been in the bottom six playing with uh, fogel and mcleod most recently the lines in yesterday's game versus vegas had mcdavid with hyman and zach cassian who we'll get to in a sec then dry with ryan nugent hopkins and yamamoto of course uh, to make things more complicated pooley actually scored the game winning goal in that game and took six shots which on one hand if you have him you're like okay that's great uh he's giving me something but on the other hand, that just kind of cements the idea, maybe in Tippett's head, that he made the right decision to spread the offense out a bit and leave Pugliarvi on the third line. So, Brian, overall, he's still having a great year, right? He's got 16 points in 20 games, but only two points in his last seven games. And his time on ice has, like, plummeted since he's been off the top line. Like, he's been around 14 minutes per game or less in the last three games when he was generally around 17 plus when he was with McDavid. So, Brian, what's the plan at this point? If you have Pugliarvi on your roster... Like I said, we're going to talk about a lot of appealing potential free agents in your league in a bit. If you had Pugliarvi in Kakupful, Brian, would you be considering, like, dropping him? Is he someone that you'd be willing to wait on? Like, obviously, he could get back on the top line at any point. Like, what's your current take on this Pugliarvi situation? 
Well, last week when we checked in on the Oilers and you asked about Pugliarvi and how he'd been quiet all of a sudden, I brought up how many times their offense had been limited to two goals or fewer in the couple weeks prior, like the team offense. I just said Edmonton hasn't been scoring so much, so let's be patient for Pugliarvi. Since then, in like just this week, the Oilers have scored nine goals and Pugliarvi has been on the ice for three of them and he has points on two of those three. So that's pretty good. Like, that's what we'd assume, although I would have liked Pugliarvi to be on for more than just three goals in the last week. The fact that he pointed on two of them is good. Um, but then the question is, well, why has Pugliarvi only been on the ice for three goals over three games? Because in his first 11 games, in seven of his first 11 games this season, Pugliarvi saw two or more goals scored while on the ice in seven of those first 11 games. That's a lot of goals to be on the ice for. But in his last nine, pugliarvi has been on the ice for just a single goal each night, which is a downgrade from him compared to how the season started. And Pugliarvi has only pointed on three of those nine, as I've said. So there's two things here. One is that Pugliarvi is not participating in as many goals as we should be able to expect. But more concerningly, he's not been on the ice for as many goals. And, and while I was willing to write that off, I mean, obviously, the reason for that is because you're going to be on the ice for a lot more goals if McDavid is <laughs> yeah. the one on the ice with you. <laughs> exactly. So I was willing to write that off as a team effect last week because we hadn't seen this change in deployment come. But this week, we're seeing this pattern emerge in Pogliarvi's deployment that's pretty freaking troubling. Now he's played two games with Warren Fogle and Ryan McLeod. And that's uh, three games now also where Pogliarvi has seen 10 to 12 minutes of five on five ice time as opposed to seeing like almost 15 minutes a night at five on five up, up until this point. Pogliarvi did get those six shots in his last game. That was promising, like you said. And it's especially good that Pogliarvi managed that with less time on ice. I wonder if the upshot that is that while Pugliarvi's on the third line, he gets to shoot more often because he's the one likeliest to score when he shoots. But obviously, that's that's like searching for the silver lining because this is not ideal for Jesse Pugliarvi. So what's the plan if you have Jesse Pugliarvi? <laughs> I, I, I really, we don't know, right? We haven't seen this before. Uh, last season, it was a lot of waiting for, for Pugliarvi to get his turn. And then he got it and he held it. And he was so, so in that role this year. He started in that same role and has been crushing it but now has lost it. So we're still trying to figure out exactly how the Oilers like go in their deployment patterns with Pugliarvi. So I think you need to decide how patient you're willing to be. My guess is that Edmonton shakes their lines up again at some point, and Pugliarvi is back with McDavid during the top six. That's just my guess, though. Um, what I'm trying to read into Edmonton's lines is that they're looking to spread their offense, but I don't feel like this experiment is going to work with Edmonton moving Pugliarvi to the third line. So clearly... I, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine about what happens. So again, you just need to decide how long you can wait for Pugliarvi to get back on the top line before cutting bait. And that depends on where you are in the standings and how the rest of your team is doing in a shallower league, like in a pretty shallow league. I'm in one pretty shallow league where there are 55, 60 point guys on the waiver wire. I think you could drop Pugliarvi and wait until his next turn if you, you know, if you can't afford to be patient. But in any other league, I'd I don't know that you have much choice other than to suffer through another week of potentially this while we find out exactly how committed Edmonton is to keeping Pugliarvi off that top line. 
Right, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think if he is dropped in your league and you're wondering whether or not you should add him, you could always just try to be the fastest on the trigger in terms of watching the line combinations. Like, don't wait for him to, like, score a goal assisted by McDavid, right? Like, watch at Game Day Lines or follow whoever you need to follow on Twitter. I'd recommend at Game Day Lines. And we'll keep you posted with the lines every day when the Oilers have practices. And yeah, to me, like, useless if he's in the bottom six. Like, I don't have any interest. I don't care if he scored a goal in his last game. But, like, very valuable when he's playing with McDavid. And by the way, right now there's a different person playing with McDavid like I said and that's Zach Cassian. Pugliarvi's loss has been Cassian's gain and he had a big one goal and two assist game versus Arizona on Wednesday. He also picked up an assist on Hyman's goal on Saturday. Side note Hyman had been slumping. Uh, I'm not going to worry about that. He's been on the top line. Hey he got scored a goal in the last game so forget about him. Uh, Zach Cassian though Gotta imagine, he's gotta be worth a look, right? As long as he holds his deployment. There's been stretches in the past when he's played with McDavid and he's been worth holding in fantasy. Who knows how long it's gonna last, but in the short term, I want the guy playing with McDavid. It's as simple as that. Sure. Yeah, of course, we want Zach Cassian if he's playing with McDavid. But just keep in mind, you might not really want him. You might want him, but you might not be desperate for Cassian. Just keep that in mind, because he's been in this spot before, and he's often done very little in it. The most success Cassian had in this spot was uh, in 1920, when he put up a 47-point pace. That's not nothing, especially if you were also able to benefit from his hits. But I think that's the really best-case scenario for Zach Cassian. And I think this is also going to be a short-term thing. It's hard for me to imagine that Zach Cassian plays out the season with Connor McDavid, though it's happened before. You can just hear, like, for Pugliarvi, I'm assuming he gets back up to the top line, which would mean that Cassian's bumped. I could be wrong. I've been wrong a lot in the past about how Edmonton manages their deployment and opportunities. So Cassian is worth a short-term look, the same way he's historically been worth a a short-term look while in this spot. But I don't think he's a long-term one, nor is he, like, so exciting. So just temper your expectations if you are going to get him. Seems like a good guy to stream in, you know, to get some extra games played because he's playing with Connor McDavid. And that's the one and only reason to add him. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then I'll just mention, we don't need to get into a big discussion, but if you're paying attention to the Edmonton goalie situation, so Koskinen played well in this win over Vegas on Saturday. That was his second win in a row. So I guess the goalie yo-yo will continue since Stuart Skinner's last game was a, like a bit of a clunker, at least on paper. He led in four goals on 33 shots in the 4-1 loss to Dallas earlier in the week. There was some chat on our Discord about like none of the goals were actually his fault. They were breaking down like the reason why each goal wasn't his fault. Regardless, right now it seems like the Oilers are winning with Koskinen, so they'll probably go him. Uh, I'm assuming he'll have a bad game at some point. They'll switch back to Stuart Skinner. So, like, if you're going to tweet it out and be like, should I grab Skinner? Should I grab Costigan? Like, it's hard to say, right? I want the Edmonton Goldie. Like, they win games because the team scores so many goals, like I've said before. Also, keep in mind that Mike Smith, according to the latest update, is expected to return in early December, which is, like, very soon. Early December is, like, next week, right? So, I don't know exactly when he'll be back. So, maybe that's going to be another reason to not, like, hold on so tight to either of these Edmonton goalies, especially if one of them is looking like they're not currently going to be the starter for, like, the following week. And right now, that's Stuart Skinner. So, I'd be willing to drop Skinner in a lot of situations, but it could obviously flip. And at this point, I'm not even going to ask you, Brian, like, what do you think is going to happen? Is it okay if I just like say, throw, we're going to throw up our hands in the air. We're going to say, I don't know. It's like, whoever has a good game is probably going to play the next game. And that's all there is to it. Exactly. Last week, our advice or my advice was basically Koskinen can't string a couple good starts together. So of course, he's done that while I've been against him in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League this week in my second tier division, uh, aka the Cupful, kkupfl.com. So yes, uh, Koskinen was able to do really well against me this week, which is unfortunate. But the bottom line from that is that I think what you just said, Elam, which is that this could be anyone's net 
I don't see anyone running away with it. I don't see anybody losing it so badly that they can't get it back. And let's just hope Mike Smith is back soon enough so we don't need to keep guessing each Oilers game night which goalie is going to be in the crease. Okay, and by the way, uh, so this game was against Vegas. I know I'm on the cold streak, so I'm just going to do a quick uh, digression. So Vegas lost that game, but fans in Vegas love a reason to be happy because they're finally almost fully healthy. Like both Max Pacioretty and Jonathan Marcheseau have returned over this past week. So the top six was our classic Pacioretty, Stone, and Stevenson, and then Marcheseau with Riley Smith and Nick Roy. So it's William Carlson is the last holdout. And I guess Alec Martinez uh, to finish off the injured players. Oh, and I guess it was Jack Eichel who will be back at some point, and that'll be really exciting. Uh, so as expected, if Dadonov's time on ice has taken a Pugliarvi-esque nosedive since Pacioretty returned. Uh, so Dadonov was playing like 17 plus minutes for most games when he was playing with Mark Stone. Now he's played only 13 minutes and 43 seconds and then 14 minutes and 37 seconds in his last two games. Uh, Dadonov's still getting good power play time on ice, but he's been bumped from Stone. So to me, that makes him pretty useless. Uh, you could comment on him if you want later on. Like, I, I, I think that we could all agree that Dodonov is not worth holding unless maybe you want to try to get a straight power play point every now and then. I do want to mention that Chandler Stevenson now has both of his buddies back. And so he's playing back with Stone and Pacioretty. He has scored a goal in each of his last three games. And he's now up to 20 points in 21 games on the season. Almost a point per game. I mean, like, man, like, to me, it's like Chandler Stevenson is the kind of player that I just never expected to have this much offensive output, even playing with good players. Obviously, he proved us a bit wrong last year. And now this year, he's even blowing last year's numbers out of the water. Brian, do you think what we're seeing from Stevenson is for real? Like, is this guy really going to be like a 70 plus point player for the rest of the season, assuming like Stone and Pacioretty (laughs) stay healthy, which like fingers crossed that'll happen. Like, he's just doing so well. He's playing with great players. He's still only 60% rostered in Yahoo. Like, to me... This is another one of those pause the pod moments, as we've been saying. How can you not want Chandler Stevenson at this point? So I'm I'm going to say that Chandler Stevenson isn't going to keep up his current pace, but with Stone and Patch ready, healthy, and Stevenson on a roll, if you're in one of those 40% of Yahoo leagues where he's in the free agency pile and you know you're you have some players who are going to be sub 60 points or sub 55 points on your roster go swap them out right now for Chandler Stevenson absolutely the reasons i don't think Stevenson can keep up this what is it like 70 point pace right now is because at 5 on 5 his points participation rates are are up 25% you know usually he's in the 50 to 55% range right now he's at 75% Stevenson's also shooting 20 so far at five on five, which has helped him gather a few extra goals, even though he normally shoots 20%. So way to go Chandler Stevenson for being a sharpshooter, but 27% is just a bridge too far. But underneath those percentages that explain why he's getting some extra points, uh, Stevenson's time on ice, his shots on goal, and his expected goals rates are all unchanged, which is usually, you know, you hope if something else is changing for the better, that it, it's backed up by some other kind of change we can see in a, the way a, a player generates offense and their other numbers. But no, we're not seeing that with Chandler Stevenson. So I'm just seeing variance swing in his favor. No meaningful differences under the hood, which means I still think that Stevenson is in a similar range to what we thought before the season when I would have said 50 to 55 points, but he really does seem to have that power play one role locked down and he didn't have that lockdown all of last year. Um, it's not giving him a ton more opportunity uh, for him to to hold on that top unit the way he has been, but I am at least going to say instead of a 50 to 55 point player, 
that I think he could be a 55-60 point player this season. And the upside is still there for 65 if somehow he does figure out a way to keep up all these crazy percentages he's managed. But I really don't expect it. So 55-60 points for Stevenson is like a five-point upgrade over what I expected from him coming into the season, which is nice and worth rostering um, in a lot of leagues. For Dodonov, uh, you know, you mentioned that power play one role is, is nice for him. And I, I just want to at least give him some credit. He looks good in a lot of ways offensively right now, even better than he ever did in Florida, actually, believe it or not. But of course, Dodonov is losing ice time. That's not helpful. He's playing on the third line with Will and Carrier. That's not ideal. And we know a talented player on the third line in Vegas like Alex Tuck, as being a, being an example, does not produce fantasy-relevant numbers. It's nice that Dodonov's on the top power play. I wonder if I'd prefer him to maybe Zach Cassian or or consider him on a similar level because of that top power play deployment. But yeah, it, it it's worth shouting him out for looking good and being on the top unit. But at five on five, I'm really not expecting a whole lot from Dodonov. Yeah, definitely. If I personally, if I had Dodonov and Cassian in free agency and I wanted to stream someone in for next week, give me Cassian. I'll take the guy playing with McDavid. But yeah, it's nice to see Dodonov is still a decent player, just not getting the role that's going to help him produce a lot. Okay, so you're saying Stevenson, you know, good, but maybe not as amazing as he's looked. So let's ask a tough question here, because the next player I want to ask you about, we're going back to these cold streaks, is Tyler Sagan, right? I got to ask, is it time to consider Tyler Sagan as a snoozer? Because right now, he's also getting the Pugliarvi treatment, like he's getting low ice time, uh, except unlike Pugliarvi, he didn't score goal or take six shots on Saturday. He's doing nothing. He's been lining up with Luke Glendening and Yol Kiviranta lately, so that's already not ideal. He's been seeing less than 50% of the team's power play time on ice in five of the last six games, so he's not getting the deployment. He's not getting, like, he's supposed to be a superstar, right? He's clearly not, or Rick Bonus does not see him as a superstar, because then he'd be giving him more ice time and more power play time. He's pointless in his last four games. He's had zero or one shot in each of his last three games, so he's just not helping you at all like I was actually considering dropping him in our keeper league where I embarrassingly uh, drafted him in like I think the fifth round or something this past year I sent out some hopeful trade offers ended up actually getting an offer from patron and good friend of the pod Mason Uh, he offered me Konechny for Sagan so Konechny's also been struggling and I like jumped on that right like John Reed and I he's my co-manager we just were like I'll take that because we were thinking of dropping Sagan and Konechny's at least on the top line uh, on Philly so he's getting good deployment Uh, I'm starting to wonder if Tyler Sagan is this year's like Taylor Hall from Buffalo last year where like you know uh, going into the year we thought we expected to be able to do well and then he wasn't doing well at first and at first I was thinking like ah, sure it's just a slow start whatever but maybe now if people who are holding on to him maybe in hindsight they're gonna look back to this moment in late November and be like man I wish I just cut bait when it was so clear that he was doing nothing like means but anyways, that's painting one picture of course now the ball can go to you where you can comment on maybe why you think Sagan is actually gonna still do better like I'd love to hear a reason even though I've traded him I'd still be curious to hear if you have any reason to expect things to turn around right now I'm not into him and I'm almost wondering if you have Sagan now's the time maybe one of the last chances to try to trade him for someone decent like a Konechny or maybe you could even swing higher go for like a Chandler Stevenson who I wonder if the Stevenson manager might be the type that's like well I mean yeah Stevenson's been great but I mean we're talking about Tyler Sagan obviously I'm not gonna not take Sagan for Chandler's Steven who is this guy right anyways I don't know it's just a strategy that I might try the the classic uh, keeping Carlson by high as I think that we've <laughs> uh, termed it in the past so anyways Brian Tyler Sagan is he a snoozer or do you still have reason for hope uh are you ready this is hard for me to get out because we've talked about Sagan a long time we've talked about Dallas a long time 
started off so well as a Dallas star, but lately it has not been looking good for Tyler Sagan or really anyone in Dallas. And with Tyler Sagan, honestly, I think I give up. I think oh, I'm damn. over him. Yeah, that's it. I I, I barely squeaked those words out. <laughs> By trick. I've stumped for him for so long, but he's not rewarding my faith in him at all. And clearly he's not loved by his coach right now. His time on ice is down, but Sagan isn't doing his own job as good as I would have thought he would. His shot rates are down. His expected goals rates are down. His on ice expected goals rates are down, which means, you know, obviously that's a factor connected to who he's playing with, but it's still frustrating that Tyler Sagan, you know, can't put a line on his back as he really once could speaking specifically of his shots Sagan has never taken fewer than three shots per game and was consistently taking nearly four shots per game in his first six seasons in Dallas and of course I said he's never uh, had fewer than three shots per game in his career until now he's averaging just two and a half shots per game and for Sagan we normally say hey He's going to be shooting. So even if like the Dallas curse hits him and things aren't going well and deployment is weird, he's still going to be throwing so many pucks on net that that base value, that floor value for Sagan is good. But we can't say that anymore with him taking just two and a half shots per game. And, you know, my theory all the while with Sagan has been that I believed his talent was still there and some proper deployment would help. But he's now casting doubt on that first part where I think he's really talented. And the second part about deployment, you know, it's just not happening. There's the line situation playing with Kiviranta and Luke Lendenning, who I feel like his only purpose of ever being in the NHL is to win a faceoff, allegedly. And Luke Lendenning is playing on Sagan's wing. Like what? Like there's, there's, there's no point. His one skill, Luke Lendenning, is to take a face off, and Sagan is playing with this guy when he's not even taking face off. So that's a real big bummer. Also, Sagan's seeing less power play time. Like way back, not, not even way back. It feels like way back in those first six Dallas seasons where Sagan was just amazing. He had 25, 30 power play points a year up until 2018, 19. And now Sagan's barely seeing 50% of the share of, of power play time in Dallas. So there's no way he's going to get up there to those heights. And I'm looking to see if there's some variants working against him. His percentages all look, they look okay. I mean, he is seeing uh, less than a 5% on ice shooting at five on five, but we're seeing a lot of Dallas players struggle through that. And honestly, I don't expect that to change a whole lot. And even if it did, even if it did regress to the norm for Sagan, it wouldn't solve all the problems we're seeing with him. So I'm I'm switching from what I used to say about Tyler saying, which is like, hang on, he's too good to be held down. Dallas has to know they need to rely on him. And I'm just changing it to hashtag free Tyler because I still maintain the talent is still there, but Dallas looks ready to move on to giving, uh, like they're loading up. They just want Robertson, Hintz, and Pavelski to have all the scoring responsibilities and everybody else is just a role player. And it's, it's funny because you were talking about Taylor Hall also, and they were drafted the same year. Remember the Taylor and Tyler debate? And now it's neither. They're somehow both snoozers, even though they both seem really talented. It's a really funny path. They've both taken to where they are now. So Sagan uh, is, yeah, I, th- I think I'm calling him a snooze. He's not shooting. He's not scoring. He's on a bad line. He's not on the preferred power play unit. I think that's it. That's it. 
That's uh, that's the calculation. Obviously, if you drop him, you can add him to your watch list. Uh, obviously, if you could trade him, still that's that's the optimal decision to make. Yeah. But if not, then yeah, you might have to let go at some point. I don't think it's a matter of being patient. Like you know, Pooley might get back on the McDavid line. I think that's more likely than Sagan playing with Hints or Robertson. And at this point, I don't think I want Sagan unless he's playing with one of those guys. Like even if he's you know next game playing with Ben and Radulov, like who cares? Like at this point, like, exactly. like he does well with them. Yeah, and it seems like ever ever since they lost the FCC line. They're like, okay, now everyone's the FCC line instead of, inst- except for Pavelski, Hintz, and Robertson. Yeah. What was that? Faxa, Como, and Cogliano? Cogliano. Yeah. There was. Okay. Uh, also, by the way, like in Edmonton, I don't think it's worth digging too much into because it's very hard to predict, but the goaltending situation in Dallas. Very interesting, right? Holtby returned from his injury and had a great game versus Arizona yesterday, stopping 25 of 27 in the 3-2 win. Now that he's back, uh, Dallas is back to having three goalies, so who knows what they're going to do with Ettinger. Obviously, the fact that Holtby played well might be a reason for them to send Ettinger down, since he's the only one they can send down, but obviously Ettinger's been really good. Uh, so just another obstacle. Like, I still like Ettinger, and if you have him, I'd, like, I don't know, it's hard to say. I'd probably hold him. He'll probably get the next game, but obviously Holtby's going to be an obstacle to him being a volume starter, uh, and maybe even an obstacle to Edinger staying in the NHL until Dallas figures out their goalie. So I don't know, Brian, did you want to say anything about the goalie situation or should we just move on? Well, it's just funny. Like we're in another situation here. You just mentioned Sagan and I'll say Ben and Radulov and now Edinger. Like Dallas could make a whole other team with the players that they're under deploying or under using and Holtby, like you said, is an obstacle for Edinger and like a very deliberate one that they just signed this off season. I, you can like you can see I'm getting mad. And uh, but Holtby, uh, you know, to his credit, is making the most of this opportunity. It's been four years since 2016, 17 that Holtby could be relied on for a quality start more than 55 percent of the time. So far this year, Breeden Holtby has nine starts and has put up a quality start in six of them. So it's a 67% quality start percentage, which is good. Of course, Jake Ettinger uh, is four for four in quality starts, which is 100%, and that's better. I, mean, I think Ettinger is better, but Holtby gives Dallas an excuse to send him down, which it seems like they're desperate for, but to me, it doesn't seem useful. But when's the last time goalies in Dallas made sense? So yes, Holtby returning and playing well is a definite ding to Ettinger's value. Um but if I like if Dallas keeps Hudobin up there and 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 Bishop stays on the shelf, and it's Holtby and Ettinger just trading starts. If I had to bet on who's going to fall off first and see the crease, I would bet it's Holtby before Ettinger. But what this just means for Ettinger owners is that you're just waiting for that to happen. If you're lucky enough that that is what happens, and he doesn't just get sent back down. Yeah, or even worse, like maybe Edinger gets more starts than Holtby, but Hudobin also gets a start every once in a while, and yeah. all of a sudden it is only 50% of the starts for Edinger. So who knows? We'll have to wait and see what happens now that everyone's healthy. All right, so next cold streak, let's go to Carolina. The Hurricanes, they keep shaking up their lines. Like, you can't even keep track of this team anymore. Like, last week we talked about how uh, Aho, Sveshnikov, and Jarvis was the top line. We were talking about, oh, oh not great for Teravainen. Then, like, I was on the short shifts episode with Ben a couple days later, and I was saying, oh, update! Now it's Teravainen with Aho and Seth Jarvis. Uh, then the, on Friday versus Philly, Carolina changed things up again. They had Aho, Teravainen, and Natchez, and then Stahl with Svechnikov and Seth Jarvis, and then Trocek with Nino Niederreiter and Jesper Fast. And I think today I saw that Jarvis swapped with Fast. So now it was Jarvis with Trocek and Nino Niederreiter. So you know, whatever. These lines are changing all the time. The one thing that's staying consistent, though, is that Vincent Trocek is doing nothing. He's now pointless in five games, only zero or one shots in each of those last five 
five games. This is another Tyler Sagan situation. Like, we used to like Trochik as someone who took a decent number of shots. Now he's not taking any. He's not getting points. How dire is this situation to you, Brian? Like, the dude started the season with 13 points in his first 14 games, now has disappeared in these last five. Who do you think, Brian, has a better chance to bounce back between him and Sagan? Because, like, I just can't with these no or one shot on goal games. Like, it would drive me crazy if I had these people. This is a really rough start to the show, isn't it? You know, usually, That's the point. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing all the <laughs> yeah. bad news first, and then we're going to end on a happy note. I love it. But I, I feel like this is a lot of marquee talent that we're really sad about weird deployment choices. Like, I'm not sure the last time we had the equivalent of Pujarvi and Sagan and I'll, I'll count Ettinger in there and Trocek all being suddenly and inexplicably shaken out of their deployment in which they could succeed. Um, and Trocek, yeah, just add him to the list. His situation is dire right now. Like Paul Yarvi, he's down on the third line holding on the top power play. But unlike Paul Yarvi, there's no six shot games in sight for Trocek, which Elon, you, you detailed a little. Trocek has just four shots in his last five games. So yeah, what do you do? Uh, I mean, if you look at his whole season, uh, it looks balanced for Trocek at five on five. Like the hot and cold have evened him out to a place where his five on five production has been on the whole at a similar rate to past years. The power play, though, for Trocek has been a real challenge. He has just two power play points in his last 15 games. And that's from the top unit. Uh, And that's just 11 power play points if you paste it over 82 games. And Trocek is someone who paced for 31 power play points last year in the exact same spot. But the way Trocek participates in that power play seems to have changed. Like he's in physically the same spot, but there are fewer shots coming from it. And if I, I checked over the heat maps over at HockeyViz, and it looks like Carolina's funneling, like last year they would really funnel in a straight line down the middle from the blue line to the crease between the circles. And this year, they're working more from the flanks and points. And I think that is impacting just how many pucks go Trocek's way and how many opportunities he gets himself to take shots. And it's all kind of ironic, isn't it, Elon, that our whole preseason conversation on him was whether Trocek would be on the power play because... You know, we said that's the difference between 50, 55 point Trocek and 70, 75 point Trocek. And well, he is on the power play, so that's settled, but he's not able to capitalize on it the same way he was last year, which was not one of our uh, anticipated potential outcomes for Trocek. And now he's on the third line at five on five. And I said his five on five scoring rates are similar to past years. But if this deployment on the third line holds, I don't expect that to remain the case. So, yes. I'm going to say it again, like I did about the other players. It's time to be concerned about Vincent Trocek. So long as he has one of the top power player, top six roles, uh, the bright side, if you can call it that, is I think Trocek can still be in 50 to 55 point territory. But without both those things, I don't think he has much of a chance at exceeding 55 points. And the worst case is lower. Like if Trocek stays out of the top six, continues to be less involved on the power play, then you're looking at, I don't know, 45 points? 50? From Vincent Trocek, uh, if you're looking, if you're a Trocek owner panicking, not sure what to do, just I, I think you could just keep in mind that these Carolina lines do change often. So we'll give you the same advice as Jesse Pugliarvi. Decide how long with you can be patient with Trocek for. I think it's more likely that Pugliarvi, uh, like just to make a comparison, that Pugliarvi ends up back in the top six than Trocek. But Trocek back on track for 70 points in the top six and registering points on the top power play 
still in the realm of possibility, right? We're not writing it off completely, but the current situation isn't great. And we do want to see some sunlight soon. I actually did drop Chotek in that shadow league I was talking about earlier in the show. Uh, I needed to get Philip Forsberg off IR and the top free agents there are guys like Taylor Hall, Jared McCann, Ryan Johansson, James Van Riemsdyk, Olofsson, Schwartz, Sonny Milano, which sounds like the right kind of group for Vincent Trocek to count himself amongst at the moment. So if those guys are in free agency in your league, you might want to think about moving on, at least in the short term. If they're not, just like Pugliarvi, figure out how long you can afford to be patient to see uh, if Trocek's fortunes improve both on the power play and in his line assignments. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you gave a potential bright side situation that could happen. Another downside situation is like last week, like you said, we talked about Pugliarvi's cold streak, and then that led to him being bumped to the bottom six. What if Trocek doing so badly on the power play is going to lead to Martin Nechas getting his spot on the top power play, which is what I'd love to see as someone who has Nechas in my uh, Keeping Carlson League. So that's what yeah. I'm hoping happens. Get, get out of there, Trocek. You're blocking my spot. Yeah, for sure. I like I still think we we We've been through this in detail before the season, the Trocek versus Natchez on the top unit debate. I don't know that Natchez is suited for Trocek's spot, but if Trocek, Trocek doesn't look suited for his spot at the moment. So you're right. The longer Trocek fails to contribute, like the, but the, the, the other side of that is, is that the Carolina power play is humming along just fine. Like they don't need Trocek to be producing if the unit is having success. So make sure, you know, before you start thinking that they're going to put Natchez onto the top unit, make sure to check and see if the unit is struggling or not, or if they're doing fine and Trocek just isn't seeing any of the points. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe Trocek's like knocking people out of the way or whatever so that other people can go and score their goals. Uh, Brian, so I've still got some more sad news. It's going to continue to be rough, okay? No one said it was going to be easy here on Keeping Carlson, and we're going to have some more cold streaks before we finally get to those sweet, sweet hot streaks to end the show. And we'll get to all that in just a sec after a short ad break from our friends over at Blue Wire. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back. Brian, let's go to St. Louis now, where you'd think it would be good news. Braden Shen, Tori Krug, they were both out of the lineup for a bit. They're back. Hooray. If you had them on your IR, you're like excited to bring them off, only for them to be doing absolutely nothing right now. Shen has been back for three games now. No points from his spot on the top line with Ryan O'Reilly and Kairou. Uh, he's also been on the top power play. I think that he got there when David Perron uh, got injured. Like He has an upper body injury, so maybe Shen's going to be bumped back from that top power play soon. Uh, never fun when you have a player on a team that scores six goals like St. Louis did versus Columbus on Saturday. Saturday, and your guy doesn't get in on anything that's the worst okay then by the way same goes for Tori Krug who's now pointless in four with only two shots on goal total in that span that's like three zero shot games and then one two shot game in his last four for Tori Krug he's been doing nothing compare that to Justin Falk who doesn't get any power play time but he's managed four points in his last four games including a goal yesterday so it's kind of like I would be very frustrated if I had Krug and then I see Falk a non-power play guy getting all the points and Krug's getting nothing and also, like, for me, this is, like, more frustrating of a situation than, like, you know, we've talked about, like, the Vancouver guys who are struggling or, like, Montreal players who were struggling early in the year. And we were like, well, the team overall isn't scoring. So, like, once the team figures things out, the players will probably bounce back. Here it's, like, St. Louis is humming along just fine. Like, Ivan Barbashev is on a run of three goals in his last two games. The line of Tarasenko, uh, Buchnevich, and Robert Thomas, they're doing great, you know? So it's, like, just happens to me that Braden Shen and Tori Krug right now are doing nothing. So what do you think, Brian? Is this, is this just, like, a random 
random cold stretch or should their managers be nervous and panicked and also i know these are two different separate players so obviously you could give one answer for one <laughs> and a different answer for the other but yeah okay. shen and tori krug what do you think um, you know, i spent an hour preparing for the show trying to to come up with one answer that would speak to both of their situations exactly precisely. <laughs> uh, I'll toss it all in the trash now, though, and talk just about Braden Shen, who honestly, like, he's different from Sagan and Trocek because Shen hasn't looked good in, I think, a couple years now. And especially this year, like, he's down two minutes a night at five on five. That's not good. Uh, some of that, I think, is actually, like, that's the average, and I think that's a little skewed from the, the game he played, what was it, six minutes before he got in, before he left the game due to injury. So, but there's still been a downgrade in how much ice time Chen has been seeing at five on five. But what I mean by him not looking much different than he has recently, he was a 53-point player last season. And while I was kind of confused about what exactly was going wrong for him last year, I don't see anything different about this year. So I'm not uh, like, so I am just kind of getting used to the idea that maybe Shen is this 55 point player. His shot rates have dipped since the trio of seasons where Shen averaged about a 65 point pace. His time on ice is lower than those seasons too. So that's all reason to think that, yeah, maybe he is just this guy now, uh, which is what I think he is. There's room for Shen to turn things around and be who he was before, but it's been a while since I felt excited about him. Uh, it's like all this to say, it feels like Braden Shen could get back up to where he's been in the seasons before last, but I, I don't know that he will. And I, I don't have a ton of faith that he will. So if you're holding out for like 65 point Shen, I wouldn't be holding out too much longer. Also, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but his hit rates have tumbled significantly. He's averaging less than one hit per game which is like really bad, right? A lot of people would be happy to tolerate 55-point Shen if he hit the way he has always been known to hit. He's been gold in bankers' leagues for a while, but that element of his game has gone missing. I'm not sure why he's not hitting or if it lasts, but it's definitely something worth watching if you have Shen and you're willing to say, yeah, okay, fine. He can be 50, 55 points because he's going to get me hits. Well, just double check that he actually is. Uh, So yeah, so Shen, I'm kind of over. And then Krug, him, uh, he's the silver lining in all of these guys. I- I'm less worried about Krug. I mean, he's at a 51-point pace for the season. Cold lately, I know, but 51-point pace for the season, especially after a cold run, that's fine. His shot rates, like we know that the theme with Krug here is that we know he's not going to be the same Krug that he was able to be in Boston. Uh, and that's a bummer, right? His shot rates are down, his power play production is down compared to Boston. But both those things are still healthy for a Krug. So while we might not be able to expect as many shots and points as before, we can still hope for 50, 55 points from Krug with a couple shots per game. I'm happy to hold on to him uh, and not panic. But Shen is someone that I would be very ready to drop. All right. Yeah, actually, Shen's been dropped in a couple of my leagues, and I don't plan on making a waiver claim, to be honest. So uh, that that's my current take as well. And yeah, Krug, I guess it's hard to let go while he's getting this great deployment, but I'd love to see some more shots from him. Uh, speaking of slumping D, uh, I guess let's go to Ottawa now. Is it time to write off Thomas Shabbat as being more than, say, like a 45-ish point guy this season? Obviously, long-term, lots of potential, but Ottawa just doesn't seem to be the team that we were hoping they would be this year. Uh, I guess maybe you could say, oh, Drake Batherson is off on the COVID protocol call maybe once he's back then everyone will get going a bit more but like shabbat like has a lot of talent but he's generally only been good for like one useful game per week to his fantasy managers this season like for example this week he started the week going pointless against the avs then
then had a great two assist games versus the Sharks on Wednesday, and then went pointless in his Friday and Saturday slate versus Anaheim and LA. And so now Shabbat sits at eight assists and no goals in 19 games this season. That's a 35 point pace, a huge drop from his solid 52 point pace last year. Uh, I'm going to go back again to my 2020-21 Buffalo Sabres analogies and say that I'm getting big Rasmus Dahlin vibes from last year for Thomas Shabbat, as in we've got a talented, you know, top defenseman on the team that just can't overcome being on a mediocre team. We all know that Dahlin really struggled last year and only managed around a 32-ish point pace, which is where Shabbat is right now. Uh, Like I said, maybe Batherson coming back will help. So Brian, do you foresee this season for Shabbat going like Dahlin's last year? Or do you think he'll be more like Dahlin this year, who after having a bit of a cold stretch, he's been on a bit of a hot run lately. And so maybe Shabbat can do the same and still end up as like a 50-point guy by the time we're done. If the, like, I'm trying to wrap my head around the Dahlin analogy. And I think, uh, I think, yeah, if, if the, if the question is, will Shabbat be okay in the end? The answer is yes. I think he will. The one place I've noticed an ongoing gap in Shabbat's production, though, is on the power play. And you're like, do we need to reassess this guy at five on five? I don't think we need to reassess Shabbat. But overall, you know, we would expect a power play quarterback to be able to like to project him for a certain number of points because he's in that role. But Shabbat, despite quarterbacking the top unit in Ottawa for three seasons, coming into this one, Shabbat had notched just 34 power play points in that span. Uh, That's like 150 some games. That's a 15 power play point pace over 82 games. Uh, Like to compare uh, Tory Krug had 28 power play points in 61 games in his last season in Boston. And I just said that Shabbat had 34, just six more power play points over three seasons, quarterbacking the top unit in Ottawa. To Shabbat's credit, despite that, he still managed to pace in the 50s and 60s in two of the last three seasons on the strength of his five on five production, which unfortunately has gone missing at the moment. But the good news is I, I don't think that's been Shabbat's fault. He's been a participant only on four of the 19 goals he's been on the ice for at five on five. That's a 20% points participation rate. Usually we can expect at least 40% points participation from him, which means there are about four more goals that Shabbat should have, but did not get in on. Shabbat also has yet to score a goal on 44 shots taken. Last year, he scored five times on 103 shots to do the math. And there's a couple goals that Shabbat probably would like regress him and he should have those goals too. So is this all a bummer that Shabbat, without that typical uh, top unit quarterback production, he's struggling at five on five? That all adds up to, yeah, some some troubling stuff for anyone who's counting on Shabbat for points. Am I so worried about him? No. But am I still taking a step back from who I've been hoping Shabbat could be for the last couple seasons until we see some kind of evidence that Shabbat can piece for 20 or more power play points while quarterbacking the top unit? Yes. I am, which is why I still like Shabbat for a 50 to 55 point pace, but I'm more or less ruling out him getting more than that till I see some better power play production. Uh, So the bottom line here, five on five production has gone missing. That'll come back. Power play production, not about to be elite. Whereas Rasmus Dahlin, I expect elite power play production from him. So if you want to go back to that analogy, that's one big difference I can draw between the two. 
Okay, well, yeah, I guess at this point, the people who have Shibata will even be happy for him to get back to this 50-point pace, like you're saying. Just give me a point every couple games, and I'm happy compared to what Shabbat's been doing recently. Uh, okay, so I guess we'll keep the run of Slumping D going. I want to go to Anaheim. They're actually playing the Leafs right now. They're one period in, so who knows if everything I'm about to say is going to be totally out of date by the time we're even done recording this show. But uh, Kevin Shattenkirk and Cam Fowler are each now pointless in four games going into today. Uh, Shattenkirk's still pacing for 55 on the year, uh, 14 points in 21 games. Fowler has 12 points in the 21 games and both of their paces are obviously falling very quickly as each pointless game goes by yahoo has started warning me about all the leagues that shattenkirk has been dropped and i get to wake up every morning to a message telling me that shattenkirk's been dropped in so many leagues and why are you still holding him you big dunce uh so i know these are again two separate players but i feel like maybe these guys might be easier to group together than krug and shen just because shattenkirk and fowler they don't play on the same d pairing at even strength but they have been on the same power play together where obviously they're both super cold at the moment moment uh brian how do you see things going forward for these two will they just regress back to what we expected going into the season which was like not even rosterable in the majority of leagues or is there still hope that they'll get back on track with these resurgent seasons that they started before these last couple of weeks I'm going to go with the first one there. That's ah, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I mean, Shattenkirk regress him to the, you know, about 30, 35 point range. Cam Fowler regress him to maybe somewhere in the high 30 point range, maybe low 40 point. I mean, both guys, Shattenkirk and Fowler, were pacing for like 25 power play points from the second unit. I wouldn't expect them to do that from the first unit, let alone the second unit. So that wasn't going to happen. And then Kevin Shattenkirk had scored four times on like 35 shots at five on five. That wasn't going to hold either. So a really nice start for them. And I bet, especially Shattenkirk, won some people some weeks. But at this point, now that we see the cool off there, I would uh, happily and confidently just reset Shattenkirk and Fowler to their preseason expectations. At no point did either of them convince me they'd changed like in any substantial way. Though I will throw Fowler a little bit of credit. If one can outpace their preseason expectations between Shattenkirk and Fowler, I'll give Fowler the the benefit there. But on the whole, I'm really not expecting anything different than the pretty boring season we expected from them the rest of the way, but maybe a little more exciting because they're on a Ducks team that scores. Oh, no. Okay. Well, I hope Shattenkirk could do something for me today. I'm actually in a super close matchup. Like, as we've been recording the show, I've been refreshing the page, and, like, the expected points between me and Joe are, like, very, very close as we have a couple periods to go. So a Shattenkirk goal would prove you wrong and make me very happy. So I'm obviously hoping for that. I mean, I want you to be right, just not about Shattenkirk. You can be right about Fowler. That'll be fine for me. Uh, by the way, I'll just sneak quickly over to the hot streak section since we're on Anaheim anyways. Trevor Zegras is on fuego recently. Nine points in his last six games. Are you kidding me? that's going into today so we'll see how he does in these last two periods versus the Leafs he's still only 47% rostered on Yahoo my opinion correct me if you disagree but like I think he's another one of these pause the podcast and go grab Trevor Zegras if you can type of guys like he's a player that everyone was drafting you know expecting big things from going into the season and yeah he struggled a little bit out of the gate he wasn't getting that much ice time compared to some other players but he's now started to show himself to be this like star rookie that many were expecting him to be and I just can't see what like you know he has the pedigree he had the expectations he had a slow start now he's hot like i just don't see why he doesn't have the potential to just continue and have just an amazing season going forward so i would not let him languish in free agency if i had the chance to grab him now because i think this could end up being like a very regretful mistake to leave him there if you didn't grab him when you had the chance uh if you're checking for zgrass and he's not available in your league 
Maybe you still have a chance to get a piece of him by going after his line mates. Get him through exposure. Uh, Ricard Raquel has two goals and two assists in three games since returning to the lineup on Zgras's wing. Uh, only 25% rostered on Yahoo. And then Sonny Milano, four points in his last three games, up to 13 points in his last 16 games, and still only 5% rostered on Yahoo. I don't know what this guy has to do to start getting the recognition he deserves for all that he's done uh, for like a long time now playing with Zgras. Um, Milano like was finally grabbed in both of the leagues that I'm in where he was in free agency today. I wanted to grab him in both. Uh, There's this guy in tier one, Jordan, that somehow the thing with Yahoo, it's kind of this annoying thing, you know, like I can't drop someone the day that he's played even, you know, like I would like it if Yahoo would just let me drop someone. And then yeah, obviously, if he's already played today, then the drop won't take effect until the next day. It doesn't seem like it should be too hard. That's how Fantrax works. Anyway, I uh, wanted to just like get Tolvanen's game yesterday and then grab Milano for today. I even set an alarm for myself for 3am so that I can just like get him right as the clock switches. And now uh, Tolvin would be droppable but like you know the, the time like my alarm went off I picked up my phone and then it was like as soon as it hit 3am Jordan was like bling Sonny Milano taken I was like no ah, so frustrating he, he's done this to me a lot I don't know I, Jordan I'd like to know your trick for how you get these guys but anyway uh, what am I saying? Oh, yeah. Milano, Raquel, both playing with Zgrass, both hot. Zgrass is going crazy. So I love that whole line. Obviously, Zgrass the most, then Raquel, then Milano. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm into them. Brian, are you with me? I am with you. I, you just waxed poetic about them enough. To, I, I don't need to add anything to that. They're all riding high. But we also don't know that they like can't stay some kind of high in their production on this new look Anaheim team so yeah absolutely my my missing out on Zgrass story was that I like it was a fab bid he was put on waivers and I underbid by three fab dollars which is nothing in the grand scheme of things I was the second bid uh and I think that was it there were just two bidders and we were both in the same neighborhood so I will regret that moment uh, but yeah go and you know Zgrass is in like, you know, somewhere between Mercer and Raymond ta- territory is what I assume, which uh, I, I get might be a, a wide swath. But, you know, if you're nervous about rookies, I have a, what I'm trying to communicate here is don't be too nervous about Zgrass. Just go get him and then we'll see. worry about what happens later. Yeah, exactly. I actually somehow Brian grabbed him as a free agent twice in our keeper league. Like I added him at one point, uh, John and I, and then we ended up just dropping him because he wasn't doing anything. And then we added him back. And now we're holding and now I feel like he might be a keeper in the end. It's a keep eight. We have lots of good options, but I'm really excited to see what Zgrass is going to do for his career. So uh, yeah, I'm not going to be dropping him again. I'll tell you that. Uh, but we'll, I mean, and then watch him go on like a 10-game pointless streak, and then I'll ask you if I should drop him. <laughs> but okay, uh, so back to cold streaks. Only a couple more, okay? And then we're going to get to the happy stuff. So uh, let's go to Montreal here. Uh, this is a team that also scored six goals, just like St. Louis uh, on Saturday. And also, like St. Louis, they had one person that didn't get in on anything, and that's Nick Suzuki, who's starting to look a little uh, Sagan-esque to me. Maybe a little bit of a bust at this point. Not only does Suzuki only have one assist in his last eight games, but this is not a situation, like I'm saying, like, like this is not a situation like before when the Habs just couldn't score at the start of the year. Remember, like, Suzuki started on a cold streak, and we were like, don't worry about it. Look, he's on the top line. He's on the top power play. Like, when the Habs score, he'll get in on it. And then he did. He went on a nice hot run. Now, they're scoring goals, but Suzuki is not a top line guy anymore like the the Habs have been rolling with like Dvorak Toffoli and Josh Anderson I think that's like the top line and they all had like big multi-point games in the last game uh and then like Gallagher's playing with Drew and Evans and even that line saw more even strength ice time than Suzuki's line which was with Lekkonen and Caulfield and like this is not the Caulfield go- going into the year where we thought he's a top liner right like Lekkonen and Caulfield seem like bottom sixers and that's who Suzuki's playing with so I guess that means we have to call Suzuki a bottom sixer so yeah 
not great. I thought he was the sure. Montreal's like crazy team. I guess they just fired their GM. So good. Like maybe now they can start making more sense. Because I went into the year expecting two things. I expected Jeff Petrie is going to be the top power play quarterback all season, and he's going to be good. And I also expected that Nick Suzuki is the top line center, no doubt. And neither of those things have been the case for the majority of the season. I guess lately Petrie has been just because of injuries. Uh, so yeah, Brian. I guess uh, same question as we've done for all the rest. Uh, is he simply a star on a cold streak? Or is it time for Suzuki fantasy managers to start to continue giving up on him for the season? Like, especially with this latest deployment, is it time to just be like, I just don't think it's going to work out and we're going to have to break up, Nick? Whether or not you give up on him depends on what you need from Nick Suzuki, right? If you want... Points. Well, okay, but how many? Uh, More than one in the last seven games. I'll okay. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. First off, it's very disappointing. Like, you talked about everybody in Montreal under-delivering. We just had... Uh, someone in our patrons only discord server uh, ask a question today like I think just looking for some reassurance before the season they traded William Eklund away for Petrie and Toffoli it's like oh yeah like they need it's a dynasty league they're looking for some short-term help to to really put their team over the top this year seemed really good at the time and real underperformances from both of them in Montreal so far. And the same thing is for, we can say is true for Nick Suzuki, who, you know, we, we dreamed of him being on a scoring line with Tyler Toffoli and Cole Caulfield. And that line just is not like, didn't click, like wasn't working. And all three of those guys are really struggling as a result. I mean, Suzuki, I'm looking at his numbers. At, he may deserve a titch better at five on five, but not so much that it really moves the needle for him. But also let's reset. Like the reason I was asking your expectations at the start of this, Elon, is because I think we need to reset them a little. We were getting really excited about Suzuki going into the year. Like I said, on a team that wasn't Montreal, that would be willing to unleash him, that he could be a point per game player, but he's in Montreal. And we haven't seen that happen for anyone in Montreal for a long time. Uh, and so that that was my reason for concern. Uh, not to say like I was smart to say that because I thought if they put their they they loaded up a top line, I was really into your enthusiasm on it. All this to say, Nick Suzuki put up sixty points in his rookie season. It was on a sixty point pace so far this year. He's on a fifty three point pace. So the sky is not falling here for Nick Suzuki. It's like yes, might this be closer to a repeat of his rookie season? which is a reasonable expectation, really, uh, and not the runaway breakout season we were hoping for. Yeah, but that's also okay. Uh, One reason why Suzuki may not be quite at that 60-point pace is because his on-ice shooting percentage is hovering around 6%. That's too low. And he's only shooting 3% at 5-on-5 versus the 10% that we would expect to see him shoot based on Suzuki's career so far. So I, I still think Suzuki can pace for close to 60 points in ideal conditions or reasonable conditions. Of course, it's hard to say that Montreal provides those conditions right now. They still look like a mess. And so I can't get totally behind Suzuki for the same reasons I haven't been able to get behind Petrie or Defoli. You know, there's a lot going on on that team that doesn't look great, may still need more time yet to sort out, especially with this change in front office. Who knows what the next step for Montreal is and how that impacts the on-ice product. But uh, for Suzuki, you know, I, I don't think he's a superstar on a cold streak. I think Suzuki's an up-and-comer who's hit a snag in his sophomore season but who can still probably meet the same expectations of at least doing what he did in his rookie season, which is that 60-point pace. 
Yeah, I like I don't disagree in theory for sure. Like everything you're saying makes sense. The big question is it's up to the coach, right? Like I don't think he can come anywhere close to that pace if he's playing on the third line. It's just a matter of how long this is going to last because otherwise he's just getting the Tyler Sagan treatment, right? Like how many points does Sagan get with Kiviranta and Glenn Denning? How many points does Suzuki can get with Caulfield and Lekkonen? Uh, not that many, right? But obviously he's a great player and you'd think he's going to earn that push back up the lineup sooner rather than later. Toffoli's an interesting one, by the way, because you're talking about how like Toffoli's been disappointing. He like is on a hot streak technically. He has six points in his last four games. But if you actually look at the game log, those six points all came in just two games. He had a one goal and two assist game versus Pittsburgh on Saturday. And he had a one goal and two assist game versus Nashville last week. Aside from that, He's got, like, five pointless games. So it's, like, six points in his last seven, but all from just two games. So, you know, some days he's great, some days he's nothing. Kind of like Thomas Shabbat, like I was saying. So I'm not sure. Like, I don't know. Toffoli's enemy is doing better than uh, Suzuki at this point, for what it's worth. Uh, Okay, I think I'm done for cold streaks this week. Like, so Ben and Lewis had a really good segment at the end of the last Short Shifts. If you're not listening to our Short Shifts episodes, which are, you know, two episodes per week, midweek, to give you, like, a quick take of everything going on in Ben and Lewis do like such a fantastic job so shout out to ben and lewis uh follow them at short shifts kk uh, anyways they ended thursday's show by looking at couturier besser and reinhardt who are all on cold streak so they did a really great job so we don't need to dig in too much i actually really like lewis's point i believe it was his about like how you want to consider if the player is still considered the team's go-to guy so kind of similar to suzuki right like right now i'm concerned about him in sagan and puliarvi right they're not being deployed as the team's like top player so then that's reason to be worried someone like and so what lewis was saying like couturier is still getting like the top deployments. Yeah, he's on a cold streak, but the Philly is going to go as far as the Couturier brings them. And so you can't expect this cold streak to last too long. That's what Lewis said. Uh, Besser and Reinhardt seem to potentially be being pushed further to the periphery, not like like guaranteed top line players. Uh, so update is that Couturier is now pointless in five games playing today in the third period. I don't think he has a point yet. A Besser, pointless in eight games. He's also playing today. Uh, Reinhardt, only one goal in his last seven games. So, Brian, did you, just quickly, like, do you have anything to add about these three guys? Or maybe you want to just give a quick take on how nervous you are about these cold streaks? I shared my takes uh, on Besser and Reinhardt last week, and, and nothing's changed since then. And also Ben and Lewis have provided more up-to-date. But like, I, there's nothing I need to update there. Like Besser, oh, I'm not even going to go back. So, sorry, if you want to, you can tweet at us and I'll repeat it for you. Couturier, though, is someone, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk about. And Philly, as a whole, is looking pretty lost right now. And you can see their fans are getting restless. I was reading this mailbag with Charlie O'Connor over on The Athletic, just about the, the, the kind of panic happening about the team and how they're playing and what it means for the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, it's another season where we were hoping for big things from Philadelphia, and they're just kind of falling flat, uh, especially lately. In the last 13 games for the Flyers, they've scored just 22 goals. So that's like not quite 1.75 goals per game. And in that span of these last 13 games, one of the reasons they're not scoring is because on the power play, they're converting it to 7.5%. Uh, but the in counting numbers, it's even more dreadful. Uh, the Flyers have just three power play goals on their last 40 power play opportunities. Uh, that's bad. That's really bad. Things just aren't working out right now. So with Couturier, uh, you know, I've been talking, uh, maybe it was two or three weeks ago, about James Van Riemsdyk and how I was like, oh, like, this is a good time to get in on him. Everything looks good and uh, the points just aren't coming. I can say the same thing about Sean Couturier, except Couturier, unlike JVR, has like really great deployment and is so set and steady in how he's going to get played. So 
it's annoying to wait for Chant Couturier. I have more faith in him uh, recovering and, and getting his fair share of points than I would have, uh, like, in meeting his preseason expectations, than Besser or Reinhardt. Like, I have a lot of faith in Chant Couturier just being such a super steady, solid hand. Um, it's just really annoying to wait for him to snap out of it. So yeah, just to confirm, Couturier still does look good in all the ways I'd expect him to. Just a snake-bitten team right now is how I see it, which makes this, and I didn't say this for Besser or Reinhardt, I think this is a good buy low window for Sean Couturier. And I can I can tell you that I'm not the only one who thinks this because Matt in my cupful division, who I, I hope isn't bothered that I'm like, I, I don't mean to blow him up, but like, he's a really good player. Like he's definitely destined for our top tier in tier one. He keeps coming to me asking if I'm done with Sean Couturier. And if Matt is interested in Sean Couturier in a bylaw window, and I'm interested in him in a bylaw window too, then you should be as well. So it doesn't hurt to go kick tires with Couturier's manager and see if they're fed up or giving up on him. Okay, so there you go. Good advice. I agree. Couturier is probably going to be just fine. Uh, you keep bringing up JVR though. Like, forget about him. Like you uh, before when yeah. you were talking about the types of players that you were saying should be in free agency. <laughs> Give up like, on JVR, just to be okay. clear. Like, because I I did differentiate from Couturier and saying like we can't rely on his deployment or him getting consistent, consistently good opportunities. Couturier, we can. And yeah. okay, I, ju- I'm I'm not equating the two at all. Okay, I, like I also think we can't depend on JVR just being a good player, even if he does get good opportunities. Like so far from what we've seen this season, I, I'm being mean. Okay, let's move on. Hot streaks time! Woo! Wah, wah. Uh, what, what are some other sounds we can make, Brian, to get all excited about this? Bing, bing, bing. Oh yeah, that's the classic. Yeah. Okay, so here we I go. Think that's actually but- what you were going for with went went. You just you just misfired. <laughs> I don't know. I'm what? making up sounds now. <laughs> Let me just move on then to actually do the hot streaks. I'm not a big sound effects guy. I'm not like that guy from uh, what was it? Police Academy. Police Academy. This is a really old reference probably at this point. I'm sure people are going to start calling me a boomer if I keep throwing those out. So I'm going to give you some players, Brian, that as of this morning, we're all 25% or less rostered on yahoo that means they're likely available to a lot of our listeners except for those in the deepest of leagues so uh, i'm gonna go through some and you could tell me if you're into them and if you were taking notes from before if you had some of those players we've talked about that brian has said that maybe it's time to consider giving up on uh, now we'll find out if brian says that this player that we're about to bring up is like a good like long-term replacement or maybe just like a short-term person for next week i feel like with these like really hot street guys that are available you don't have to worry about if they're long-term or short-term right like i mean you worry about if they're a good short-term improvement and then if they turn into a long-term then that's great and if not, you know, you gave it a try. Let's start in Chicago with 23-year-old Brandon Hagel, who has scored in three straight games for the Hawks going into today's game versus San Jose. He hasn't scored yet. It's 2-1. to one, or No, it's one nothing for San Jose with 10 minutes to go. So James Reimer, just, man, he's taken a hold of that starter's job. Eh? Not to go on a total tangent, but like Aiden Hill is clearly the backup, and Reimer is clearly the starter. Reimer's getting all the starts and having another great game so far, though hopefully for me, because I actually did stream in Brandon Hagel in that couple league where I tried to get Milano, and I couldn't. I ended up having to settle for Brandon Hagel, but I wasn't too, too disappointed because like I said, he scored in three straight games and maybe even more exciting than that is the fact that he's been being given like primo deploymento lately. He's been playing today and in the last game, like at least on the top line with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, which is also kind of cool just to see Kane and Taves play together. That doesn't happen too, too often lately. Uh, also, Hagel's been getting top power play time with those two legends. Uh, also in Seth Jones, looks like today it was Kane, Debrinkit, Kurashev and Hagel. Oh, so Taves on the second power play then. 
Or no, I don't even know. This power play... Okay, it looks like today they actually at one point bumped Hagel from the top power play. So this might already be old news because then I'm seeing also some time with Kane, Taves, Doc, and Kubalik. And then with Seth Jones and Eric Gustafsson also splitting the power play time. So either way, Hagel's on a hot streak. Seems to be getting good deployment. Uh, I streamed him in today, which means he's probably going to end the hot streak and he's going to end up costing me the win this week. Brian, what do you think? You like... Hegel the, the bagel does anyone call him that uh by the way his schedule for next week if you're thinking of streaming him in he doesn't play till thursday so to me he's the kind of interesting player where if you're listening to the show don't grab him now but potentially thursday morning you add him and you could get thursday saturday sunday from a guy playing with patrick kane it's always a good thing usually a good thing uh it hasn't been a good thing for like jonathan taves this year and those opportunities too but we can hope it will be for brandon Hagel, who elon if he does stop producing it won't be because you added him uh like in in the cupful, it's just because he's been scoring unreasonably lately. Three goals on Hagel's last eight shots, and this year seven goals on his last twenty seven shots. All of them coming at five on five. And uh, you know, you beat me to the bagels rhyme, which is probably very unoriginal for anyone who like listens to Chicago talk radio or anywhere Hagel is discussed in any regular way. But I will mention that Hagel has those seven goals this season, but all bagels in the assist column for 17 games. The way I see Brendan Hagel is maybe he's like an Andrew Shaw type who grinds for goals, but not like necessarily an offensively gifted player. And on busy nights, Hagel doesn't jump out as someone like so awesome to have in deep leagues. He's someone who uh, on a quiet night, if you're looking for some extra games, uh, might be good to try out just because of his deployment. You know, same guy who falls into the category of, you know, Zach Cassian types for Brandon Hagel. So if you need some extra games, not a bad swing to take. It doesn't jump off the page for me in any way as uh, like someone I really want to make sure I jump at to stream or get in my lineup. Elon, I know, I know you're still reeling from the Shattenkirk feelings and uh and now I'm throwing this at you but why not try him out okay you could make for a good Sunday stream this week in deep enough leagues so uh I, I I'm not poo-pooing it completely here Elon I'm just saying even with exposure to Kane and Taves on the top line I'm not so sure that you'll be doing your Hagels beyond this week all right fair enough all right let me see if i could do better with the next guy who used to play on the power play that hegel is playing on now and that's adam bokvist former chicago defenseman who is now on columbus and he's recently got a promotion to be on the first power play in columbus alongside Wierenski, voracek jenner and bjorkstrand and he's been thriving he's got three goals and two assists in his last three games including a two goal and one assist outing in the 6-3 loss to the blues on saturday uh, of those three points two Two of them were on the power play, power play goal and a power play assist. Uh, Adam Boakvist, only 6% rostered on Yahoo. I know a lot of people listening uh, are in leagues like myself. I'm in a league like this where just D is hard to come by. And a top power play D, like aside from maybe like the Islanders one, like is usually like very hard to find. So if that's the case, I I wanted to at least throw it out there before you poo-poo it. Like Adam Boakvist is a top power play defenseman who's currently on a hot streak. I think that fits the bill of someone for this segment. But Brian, what do you think? I don't know. I I just have a hunch that you're going to say that you're not too excited about Volkvist. Look, I'll get into him. It's hard to find a defenseman mid-season who could provide you with some value, especially if you have someone who's gone down to injury. Like if you're still trying to fill a Ryan Ellis size hole in your lineup, for example, you might be interested in at least looking at Adam Bokvist if none of the other options that you've tried have really panned out. Keep in mind, Bokvist did have a really quiet start to the season. Nothing in his first five games, and he was out a few weeks with an injury. And now Bokvist has six points in seven games since coming back thanks to this recent burst of power play points. 
And his opening into that top power play was Patrick Liney being out of the lineup. That was his opportunity to step in. It also helped that Cole Sillinger didn't do much with the, with the opportunity he had in Liney's spot. And Boakvist is actually setting up in the same position on the ice as Liney, shooting from the half wall. And Boakvist is not as good a shooter as Patrick Liney, but it's still a shooter spot. So it is an opportunity for Boakvist to try and pop some goals in because he's standing in the place where Columbus wants to funnel a lot of passes uh, to try and score, right? Line A is someone they want to be their finisher on the power play. Now Boakvist is standing where Line A normally does. So that's good for Boakvist, who, uh, like you probably anticipated, Elon, that I'd be pessimistic because we had high hopes for Boakvist in Chicago, but could never make anything of opportunities that he had there. But now top power play is also playing on the top pair with Zach Wawrenski at even strength. This is all very interesting to me. And a fun fact from Aaron Portsline, uh, who said that Boakvist now has as many goals as all of the Blackhawks' current defensemen combined. So a little dig at Boakvist's former team. Uh, Bocas has four goals on 15 shots, shooting 27%. So that's not going to keep up. But I am interested in Bocas while he's on that top power play unit. All right. So there you go. I got I got one past you. Let's see how we do with the rest. I don't think this one's going to, though. But I just got to mention this guy on Columbus, uh, Vladislav Gavrikov, another defenseman who went on a run of five points in three games before going pointless on Saturday. I saw his percent roster like shoot up a little bit on Yahoo. Uh, so with that run, Gavrikov is now sitting at 12 points in 19 games overall on the season, uh, matching his total number of points from all of last year, which took him 55 games to get to those 12 points. Now it's only taken him 19 games to get to those 12 points. So, Brian, was this just a crazy anomaly for Gavrikov or a sign that maybe he's found some extra offense? Also, of course, I just got to ask, because I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've ever mentioned him on the podcast. Who the heck is Vladislav Gavrikov? Okay, so Vladislav Gavrikov, he's a big guy, six foot three, 215 pounds, drafted late in the 2015 draft. Uh, sixth round, 159th overall for context. He was drafted five spots after John Marino, who did you know was drafted by Edmonton? I'll have to uh, check out I that. I did not. Yeah, how how he landed in Pittsburgh. And uh, Gavrikov was also drafted seven spots ahead of Andrew Mangiapane, who was, in fact, drafted by Calgary. But look at that value for Mangiapane in the sixth round in 2015. Um, okay, but going back to Gavrikov. So he played for w- what essentially are the KHL All-Stars, right, in St. Petersburg, Ska for a couple seasons, which does sort of... Uh, mark him as being one of the the primo defensemen available in the KHL. Then he made the jump to North America at the end of the 2018-19 season and has been an NHLer ever since. Gavrikov started on the third pair in Columbus, has seen his time on ice and deployment rise steadily since then. And now he's 26 years old and getting our attention for fantasy purposes. And uh, really, yeah, I'm not bought in. I think he's on this on-ice shooting percentage bender. 13% of shots are going in while Gavrikov is on the ice at five on five. And that's all season. Lately, it's a much higher percentage than that. Um, And, you know, Columbus actually seemed better than they were last year when Gavrikov is on the ice, but not this much better. Also, Gavrikov has points on nine of the last 10 goals scored while he's been on the ice, which is a points participation bender. And that is also not going to keep up. Like, Gavrikov had three points in his first nine games before this explosion. And I think that's a much better descriptor of what we can expect the rest of the season. That said, uh, we're not just talking points with Gavrikov. We're talking peripherals. And he has this nice peripheral floor. And he kind of reminds me of like a Radko Gudas type who has, you know, salt enough hits and blocks 
to be relevant in formats that reward those things enough. And then maybe you pick up a couple points just by osmosis and being on the ice. Uh, you might say that Gavrikov's on a less offensively inclined team than Gudas, who's on Florida. But let's give a, a little shout out to Columbus's offense. They have not been bad at all this year. They're actually a top 10 team in five on five expected goals for per 60 minutes which is impressive. So way to go, Columbus. Way to go, Gavrikov. But I'm really not expecting fantasy-relevant scoring to continue from him. But if he can just put in a point every, I don't know, three games, then maybe his blocks and hits still make him rosterable for you. So take a look. All right. So uh, uh, that's definitely fair, and I agree with you. (laughs) Okay, so let's go to the next hot streak. Maybe someone you'll be a little bit more interested in. Ryan Johansson, only 17% rostered on Yahoo, has decided he wants to get in on the fun with Duchesne and Granlund uh, in these people having resurgent seasons for their careers, just bouncing back to back when they were stars. Rijo has one goal and seven assists in his last five games from his line with Kudin and Tolvanen, which has brought him to 17 points in 21 games overall on the season. That's a 66-point pace, which is right back to where he was in 2018-19 before his numbers took a nosedive over the past two seasons. So, Brian, do you believe in Rijo being able to join his teammates in, like, joining in and having a turnaround season just like Duchesne and Granlund? Well, I've learned my lesson with Mikhail Granlund, right? And and that was, I named him as someone who always finds his way onto my roster and he never does anything for me. And this time I wasn't biting. And of course, you know, he, he went off. So I, I bought in on Ryan Johansson earlier this week, uh, which is great because he rewarded me. But then I dropped him, of course, before he put up more points on Saturday. So I guess I'm still learning how to how to manage these guys who've disappointed me, especially on Nashville time and time again. Um, so trying to figure out if Ryan Johansson can continue being rosterable. Uh, his great pace so far has been powered in part by, believe it or not, Goal scoring. Yes, Ryan Johansson is not a goal scorer. He's scored, actually, you can set your watch to this, either 14 or 15 goals for the last seven seasons. So far, Ryan Johansson has six goals in 21 games, which means he's pacing for nearly 24 goals this season because he's shooting at about double his usual shooting percentage. So that isn't going to keep up. But Johansson's recent burst in production has been largely thanks to assists. Johansson has six assists in his last five games, including three power play assists. And I slowed down and emphasized three power play assists because I think that's the lesson here about this whole Nashville team who's driven us crazy for a few years. But one of the reasons they've driven us crazy is because uh, for the last three years, the power play has been useless. And at the risk of jinxing it, I'm going to say that this Nashville power play appears to be unbroken for the first time in three seasons. So when we consider our constant disappointments with Duchesne and Granlin and Johansson, so much of that was because of their power play production just disappearing into a black hole. That said, power play production alone isn't going to get Ryan Johansson back to the 65-point pace that, you know, someone might get excited that he's back on track for. It wouldn't have gotten him there the past few years. It's not going to get him there this year. But it could at least bring him back to the realm of fantasy relevance. Maybe Johansson can manage a 55-ish point pace. So I I would grab Johansson, hold him, and see where it goes. Uh, I'm not saying he's back in the most offensive forms we've seen him. I'm not sure he'll ever be a 60-plus point guy again. But if you're in a league where 55 points is going to help you, then maybe this is a time for you to at least check in and see whether there's room for Johansson on your roster. 
Yeah, he's available all over and he's on a hot streak now. So even if you don't think he's going to be a 65-point guy all the way through, maybe someone you want to grab now while he is on a bit of a heater. Uh, one player, by the way, who doesn't need to have a turnaround season because he's been good, at least in terms of points per game, is Philip Forsberg, who's picked up right where he left off after he returned last week. Two goals and two assists in his latest three games. He's only 75% rostered. So obviously, if he's in free agency, grab him. We don't even need to ask you about that. And then we just got to pray now for Forsberg to be healthy, right? Because he's good in terms of points per game. Now let's actually just get enough games to actually give us like 60 points which is what we assume should be a lock for force when he's never able to have a full healthy season all right so brian uh let's talk next about ryan hartman over in minnesota who just keeps going four goals in his last five games and i wrote that this morning before today's game where minnesota beat tampa bay four to two and it's looking like ryan hartman once again scored so make that five goals in his last six games what the heck Hartman is now up to 16 points in 21 games on the season, also averaging like 3.4 shots per game, which is crazy. He was like less than two shots per game each of the last few seasons. And I guess the secret is out at this point. He doesn't fall into this category. I said I was going to be talking about players who are 25% rostered or less. But yeah, Hartman doesn't qualify. He's 63% rostered. So obviously, grab him if you can, especially with him lining up with Kaprizov recently. And by the way, Kaprizov is like insane lately. He has 11 points in his last five games. I was going into today. I'd imagine Kaprizov got another point today. Let's just check that out. And yeah, he had an assist I'm guessing on the, yeah, on the Hartman goal. So there you go. Like clockwork. Uh, So, I don't know. If you could get him, then go get him out of free agency. I think Brian, you'll agree that he's a uh, must roster at this point with these shots, with this deployment, with all these points. If anything, is he the kind of guy that if you have Sagan, you know, I was saying how you could do a buy high with Sagan to try to get like a Chandler Stevenson. Would you also, if you had Sagan, try to get a Ryan Hartman and maybe the person getting the offer again is just kind of like, well, obviously I can't turn down Sagan for Ryan Hartman. I didn't even know who Ryan Hartman was before I grabbed him out of free agency a couple months ago. Well, I've already established that I'm I'm pretty likely to drop Sagan at this point in a lot of formats. And so if you're asking if I would drop him for Hartman, I, yeah, I would add Ryan Hartman. He's shooting and he's playing with Kirill Kaprizov. And, uh, you know, he, I think Hartman is who you want Brendan Hagel to be. Uh, Hartman's production is not entirely sustainable this season so far, but it is, in fact, looking pretty rosterable if his shots and deployment hold up even after he regresses. And so far, like Hartman has kept up these really great shot rates for a big chunk of the season. I was reading this article from Sarah McClellan, and I think I might have referenced this on another show uh, maybe two or three weeks back about how Hartman has been a role player for a lot of his career, and he's had to kind of constantly reinvent his game and himself to try and, you know, fit it, like be the person the team needs him to be so that he can continue having a job and an NHL role. And uh, it seems like this time around, he did try and figure out how to be a little more offensive, which is great. Uh, 27 years old. That's fantastic. Hartman also throws hits. So he's an, he's a nice guy to have. There's a decent chance that Hartman could become a snoozer at some point, but we're definitely past the point. You know, there's always this point when guys are on, on the up and up, even if we're not sure we believe in them, where it's like, do we pick them up? Don't we pick them up? Uh, Hartman has at least passed that first hurdle for sure. Like Hartman should be rostered uh, until he shouldn't be. But like we're past the point of sort of weighing whether he should or shouldn't be. Um, I'm happy that he's been able to do what he's been doing for so long. And playing with Kaprizov is fantastic. And like I said, those hits and shots give him a nice floor, even on nights where he doesn't get a point. Yeah, I think like rostered is like 
like you said, like beyond a question, get him for sure. And I think trade for him. I think you could still get him for like a player with a big name, like a Trocheck, like a Sagan, because people might have trouble turning down a big name. So maybe it's one of your last chances. And I guess you're not as high, but like, who knows how long he'll stick with Kaprizov. Uh, right now, it's looking pretty good. Unfortunately, Matt Zuccarello's injured again. Uh, he was doing well when he was with Kaprizov as well. So hopefully he'll be back soon. Uh, I guess sticking with a t- less than 25% theme, I got to shout out Alex Goligoski. I think I mentioned also on another recent show we did. Uh, he's uh, 22% rostered now and climbing with seven points in his last, I guess, six games now. He didn't get a point today. Uh, he's not the big perifs provider he used to be, but hey, who needs perifs when you're putting up uh, around a 60-point pace, which is what he's been doing right now as a 36-year-old defenseman. So, you know, obviously he's not going to keep this up, but I just out of curiosity, let's say he's available and Bokvist is available and I need like a depth D. Uh, is there an argument for Goligoski over Bokvist, even though Bokvist is on the top power play? I don't think so. I mean, we talked a little bit about Goligoski last week and we said his numbers are unsustainable. I expect him to eventually regress back to being at a 30-point pace. I think both Goligoski and Bokvist are deep cuts, but I think Bokvist is somebody who I would be more interested in between the two. Okay, and I guess one more D-man I'll bring up uh, who's been getting some play on our Discord recently is Mario Ferraro uh, on the Sharks, who is like kind of, I guess, no longer quietly putting up a half-point-per-game season, 10 points in 20 games, at least going into today. Uh, I don't think he got a point on the Sharks' only goal so far versus Chicago. Uh, but yeah, he's been so great in terms of peripherals, and obviously a big reason for that is he's seeing a career-high average time on ice, almost 25 minutes per game. He's taking advantage. He's been amazing for hits, amazing for blocks, and he's also even getting points every once in a while joe bimbler one of our patrons asked if there's a chance that he's like this year's alec martinez someone who no one expected to be this offensive you know half point per game along with all those peripherals and unfortunately martinez hasn't been able to be this year's or last year's alec martinez this year because he was struggling along with all of vegas at the time when he was on the roster and he's been injured ever since hopefully he comes back soon to join in on the fun with patcheretti and marcia so and all the healthy players uh, but in the meantime brian mario ferraro do you think he can keep up this offense to go along with all these amazing peripherals no i don't is the short answer uh he doesn't he barely shoots for has just 16 shots going into today's game he scored twice on those 16 shots which is a lot for a defenseman also he's doubling what we would expect his points participation rates to be and if that wasn't enough to convince you uh, compared to last year like you might be like oh well maybe mario ferrara looks better this season than last year the san jose offense actually looks worse this year while Ferraro's on the ice compared to how it looked while Ferraro's on the ice last year. Um, so even at, you know, even though Ferraro's only putting up like a half point per game, I'm still not buying even that kind of production. I would make uh, maybe a comparison to Eric Cernak uh, for Mario Ferraro. You know, you've got nice peripherals, great ice time, but I just don't expect points. And I might expect even fewer from Ferraro than Cernak because he's on San Jose and not Tampa. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Let's get out of the defenseman. Oh, actually, no, I have one more defenseman I want to bring up. So Drew Doughty's been practicing on LA, could be back next week. In the meantime, I just I just need to mention this guy, Sean Dersey, who's been the latest person to come up from the minors and get Power Play 1 deployment on the Kings in Doughty's absence. The 23-year-old Dersey has only played two games since being called up, but has three points in those games, all on the Power Play. So this is clearly a good role for him. Uh, so for, I guess, the second time on the show, I got to ask, who the heck is Sean Dersey? And for 
as long as Dowdy's out, which again, maybe zero games. So make sure to check the lineups before you stream him in for a game. But do you think Jersey is some, well, I guess that's not even worth a question. Like, do you think like, yeah, he's on the top power play. He has a decent chance to get a power play point, but uh, just who is he? Just get, just, I want to mention him. And then maybe one day we'll bring him up again. Yeah. We got to at least talk about Sean Jersey, uh, born in Mississauga, drafted by the hometown uh, Toronto Maple Leafs in the second round, 52nd overall back in 2018. He's now 23 and he was actually uh, acquired. Jersey was, was acquired by LA, but seven months after being drafted by Toronto in the trade that sent Jake Muzzin the other way. Uh, and that was about six weeks before the season was shut down for COVID, which of course was all, I'm sure, very frustrating for Toronto. But Jersey has been great in LA's system. 34 points in 78 games for his first two full seasons as a pro with AHL Ontario. But Jersey took off big time this year with five goals and 11 assists for 16 points in 13 AHL games played before getting the call up. I reached out to our resident prospects expert and host of the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast, Victor Nuno, for his take on Jersey. And he, I'm kind of going to just read what, what Victor shared with me, which is that Jersey is one of a bunch of skilled blue liners that the Kings have right now. He's a great skater, good offensive instincts. His D, his defensive game has come a long way. Um, you know, and there's also like, if you're looking for offensive competition on the roster, Clegg might be better. Plus there's other guys like, uh, Helgi Grunz and Tobias Bjornfoot also drafted with a pick that the LA acquired in the Muzzin deal, uh, who should be better two way guys. Um, anyway, Victor doesn't think that Jersey has like a long term look at running the power play here. And he named a couple other guys, especially uh, Brant Clark uh, is another, is some, maybe in the dynasty league that interests you. Anyway, there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of options. It was Victor's bottom line here. So don't get too attached to Jersey in the long term, but in the short term, Hey, like he looks really good. He's been amazing in the HL producing over a point per game from the blue line and uh, some really great immediate returns in LA. So, you know, if you were into someone like Kale Clegg at the time, get into Sean Dursey, especially because he put up four shots in his last game against Ottawa, whereas Clegg has like a half a shot per game over his 11 games played, which is uh, not very nice. So Dursey might be a little more helpful too, even if he doesn't pick up a point. But yeah, I would put him in like the Boakvist category right now. Right. Except obviously Bokfus is going to potentially hold the job longer just because, again, uh, Drew Doughty could be back anytime. And then we'll see if Jersey even stays in the big leagues or gets sent back down to the minors to continue his amazing AHL season. Yeah. And Bokfus is only there until Line A comes back. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Oh, unless Line A could bump one of the forwards if they like the three, four. Well, probably not because you said that Bokfus is playing in the line. Yeah. I got it. I got you. I got you. Okay. Let's go to some forwards on hot streaks now. Uh, in Arizona, Clayton Keller is currently playing at the level that his contract uh, should have like expected him to be. Like he's scorching right now. Seven points in his last five games after a slow start to the season, which saw him fall to free agency in a lot of my leagues. And now I'm starting to wonder if I made a big mistake by not grabbing him. Uh, Arizona, by the way, plays Monday, Tuesday to start next week. So if nothing else, like at least grab him. If he's a free agency for you, grab him now get those two games and then you could always reassess but brian of course the more interesting question is do you think he will end up if let's say someone's listening to this it's like oh okay i'll grab clayton keller let's see what he does monday tuesday what do you think the chances are that the people who listen to this and add keller will end up holding him for the rest of the season because he continues to you know not be like seven points in every five games but you know like rosterable 60-ish point pace or more like we expected him to be every year of his career when he started with that great rookie season all those years back right well we're yeah we're not expecting that anymore from clayton and Keller and if you do add him now as you 
might want to because the Coyotes do play Monday and Tuesday. I don't know that you're going to be wanting to hold on to him uh, for the full season. Like, I want to believe in Clayton Keller. I've always wanted to believe. But on aggregate, I'm not seeing anything from this season that tells me Keller's taken a step beyond being the 50-point player he's been for three years now. But like you, Elon, I do remember Keller's 65-point rookie season back in 17-18. I'd love to see it happen again. But trying to figure out if it if it can, looking back, it looks like that season for Keller was fueled by too many secondary assists, as this short run for him also appears to be. Uh, he also had 20 power play points in that rookie season. This season so far, Keller is on pace for 12 power play points. So there's not a lot of reason to be optimistic that Keller is going to get back at that 60 plus point range. I will say this, though, that Clayton Keller seems to have been given a fresh start from Andre Tourney as the new coach in Arizona. Keller's seeing a career-high ice time, a career-high percent share of the team's power play minutes, a career-high five-on-five ice time, even a small penalty kill role. So there's hope that maybe Keller can push to 55 points, even if he doesn't actually improve, just because he's playing more often. And there's hope still that maybe the new coach is such a great match for Keller that he does help him uh, find his game. You know, we I remember talking with Cam Robinson, like who was so excited about Clayton Keller and we were bought in and like all those points were very like rational and reasonable and well-founded and we were hoping for 70 plus point seasons from Clayton Keller throughout his career so I feel like that untapped potential might still be there um, but I don't think we're so close to seeing it come is the bottom line I'm certainly not seeing it uh, imminent at all so yeah I think ride what he's on grab him for Monday and Tuesday, but you're not looking to hold him all season. I, d- I don't think that's going to happen. And someone else under the same umbrella in the desert, by the way, I'll just mention Phil Kessel has points in his six of his last seven, 18 shots taken over his last seven games and only one goal with all those shots. So maybe he could have had more than six points in his last seven games, which makes Kessel another decent stream for Monday, Tuesday, if Keller's already off the board. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And hey, all I'll say is like, let's say you do stream in Keller, and if he has another two good games, I wouldn't like drop him and move on. Like right. I would hold on because he is also getting like the top deployment, right? So it's just a matter now of him being able to put something together. Like you say, Brian, there's no reason to like be especially optimistic of him being able to keep this going all season. But he's in a good spot. He's supposed to be talented, so I'm I'm happy to ride him while he's doing well. Uh, okay, probably time to get back on the Michael Bunting train. And I actually wrote this this morning, and uh, since then, Michael Bunting has helped my cupful opponent. Joe uh, beat me. Like, I'm going to lose now, and I should have added Michael Bunting, clearly, because he's got one goal and one assist today versus Anaheim. Uh, Going into today, he had four points in his previous five games. He's back playing with Matthews and Marner. Like, he had that great deployment at the start of the year, and then, you know, he ended up getting, like, not doing well. Like, even in that role, he wasn't getting many points. He ended up getting bumped down to the bottom six. We said on the show, like, okay, time to forget about Bunting. At this point, like, if he's still out there, get him back, because he's in that good spot. He's producing lately uh you know what what am i gonna do okay i'm gonna lose this week i don't even really want to continue the show to be honest brian like i'm in a group chat here with ben and lewis and you and ben lewis and i all had really close matchups in tier one going into tonight i was up by like 30 points uh, going into tonight and now uh, i'm gonna lose and all three of us apparently are gonna lose i'm seeing everyone all uh, complaining in this group chat while i'm also trying to record a podcast Brian, how are you doing in your couple matchup this week I am unfortunately losing. I'm down. Oh. Yeah, I'm down 20 points. Uh, my week just uh, 
It was close. It was a close matchup, but uh, my opponent this week, Garrett, pulled away uh, last night with huge, I, I mentioned Miko Koskinen, huge Miko Koskinen performance, which is really disappointing. And actually, he was the one who picked up Ryan Johansson after I dropped him and got five points there. So between those two, uh, I got, uh, I was buried. I was buried. All right. Well, join the club. Me, you, Ben, Lewis. I guess we'll find out from Stream Scheme, which has already been released today, how Dave did this past week. Uh, maybe the whole Keeping Carlson family is just having a, a down week this week. But anyways, I was talking about Michael Bunting. I didn't get him. I didn't get Milano. I didn't get any of the good free agents. I got Brandon Hagel, who got shut out. The game's over now. He did nothing. I'm going to drop him tomorrow because he doesn't play till Thursday anyways. Anyway, yeah, whatever. Go grab Bunting, obviously. I wish I did, but I didn't. Now it's too late. Usually that's my line. Next up, uh, okay, let me try to get some energy back here to finish the show. Ugh, I've, been, I've been watching these scores the whole game, Brian, and just like, more and more points. Like, freaking Marshawn wasn't getting any points through the first two periods. I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to be able to avoid getting Marshawned. But no, like, Marshawn and Bunting both just like, exploded on me. I even have Jesper Bratt, who's been amazing. I told everyone to grab Jesper Bratt, like, a couple weeks ago. He's getting points every single game. He had a goal and two assists today. Fortunately, my opponent had a Hamilton, so it didn't matter because every point Bratt got Hamilton got got just as many and also more shots. But yeah, that line of Brat, Mercer, and Andreas Janssen, another huge game, right? Janssen, I think, had four points today. So get it. Uh, we've already said, I can't just say this every show, right? But I still see Jesper Brad and Andreas Janssen and Mercer even, like, not getting added in all Yahoo leagues. Like, I still see them available in some places. Like, go get those guys. Okay, I'm not even going to bring them up here as a question to Brian. The next one I had on the docket for you is Capo Caco. Okay, unfortunately, the Rangers ha- were supposed to play today against the Islanders, but their game is canceled because the Islanders are having a COVID breakout and the, their next game is also canceled and hopefully everyone's going to be okay there and they'll get back going soon. But in the meantime, maybe now's an opportunity for you to go and grab Capo Caco before it's too late because he's on a new spot. You know, he started the year playing with Panarin and Strom. Now he's playing with Zibanejad and Kreider and he's doing great. He's got six points in his last six games. So I guess like I asked with Keller, are we potentially at a point now where you stream Caco in for his next game and then he could potentially turn into a season hold because he's definitely got the pedigree. He was picked second overall just a couple years ago. He's on like the top line. It seems like a recipe for someone that you can grab and potentially hold what do you think about Kako and what he's been doing over these last six games? Yeah, it, like we all want to believe in Capo Kako. I don't think what he's been doing lately is sustainable, but I can't disagree that Kako is in a better place deployment wise than we've seen him in a long time, both in like he's playing with great players in a top six line. And Kako also doesn't seem to be like about to be shuffled off that line either. So those are reasons to go for Capo Kako. I'll give you the reasons to disbelieve in his recent production, which is that he's been in all six of the goals scored while he's been on the ice. Three of them he scored himself on nine shots. So 33% shooting, not going to hold his three assists to go with those three goals were all secondaries. So look, I, again, this is just my job right? This is what I do. I look at where the points are coming from and then I get really excited or I say, oh, you know, this isn't exactly something we could expect to continue. But I still will say that there's a lot of reason to at least consider Capococco being someone more holdable than he has been at any other point. Um, you know, it was any other point, including like last week when he had no points in 10 games until this run. Um, I, I will just add that even at Kako's peak, I'm starting to think he might not be more than like a 65 point player. 
I, I don't know that his scoring upside is really huge. I think he might provide value elsewhere and then might not always show up on the score sheet. Um, but yeah, he's, he's got more ice time playing with better line mates. There's hope and Kako is worth a flyer, but I don't think he's about to go setting the world on fire. I wonder if maybe like this could be actually a good analogy here would be like Pool Yarvi last year playing with McDavid uh, once he got up to that line and it was like, yeah, he's scoring. Oh no, now he's not. Oh, he scored again. Oh, and now he's not again. That's the sort of um, pattern I could see taking place with Kako where he is in the New York lineup. Okay, so yeah, I mean, the nice thing is everything that you've seen before that's maybe indicated to you that he's not as good, blah, 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 like everything you said, which makes total sense, that's all been with him playing with Panarin, right? Maybe for some reason he has better chemistry with Sabanajad and Kreider. So it's just nice. I'm always more excited when a player's on a hot streak, even if it's a little unsustainable, but it's like in a new situation where maybe he just has better chemistry with those players. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing how this plays out on the Rangers over these next couple of weeks. Uh, I would grab him for now if I had room, and it's like a speculative ad, obviously, but uh, someone with a lot of upside for sure okay over in pittsburgh evan rodriguez is currently getting great deployment because brian rust is injured yet again so rough season for rust so far but his loss is rodriguez's gain because rodriguez on saturday was on the top line with crosby and gensel he was also on the top power play with crosby gensel jeff carter and Latang. and check out this uh stat line for rodriguez he took 12 shots in that game versus Montreal, where Pittsburgh lost 6-3, to and he scored only one. If anything, he had a low shooting percentage in a game that he scored a goal, which is usually pretty rare. He also scored a goal a couple games before that. He had two assists in the game before that, so we get four points in his last four games. Obviously, right now, he's very interesting on the top line and top power play with Crosby and Gensel, so this won't last forever. Hopefully, Rust will be back soon, but in the meantime, uh, this is a great spot. This is like a Hegel, but... Taking 12, shot, 12 shots in a game also just jumps out at me. That's crazy. I wonder if what he's going to follow that up with. It would be weird if he ended up having a zero-shot game after that. For some reason, I just feel like that's going to happen. But still, if he, he's, a, he's taken in both of the leagues where I would want to grab him in. And uh, so, yeah. But if, if he was available, I would definitely grab him, probably even ahead of Kako right now with this deployment with Crosby and Gensel. Definitely. I, I have nothing to add. I, I'm almost like it's almost surprising on 12 shots. He only scored one time. Right? Like, usually it's like, yeah, if you're a 10% shooter, you score on one out of every 10 shots, but he scored on, he took 12 shots. It's crazy. Uh, and it's really exciting to see Rodriguez playing with Gensel and Crosby. Um, do, Elon, sorry, you might have mentioned, do, do we know how long Rust is out for? Uh, I didn't check the latest. I know he was just put on the IR, so I think it's going to be at least a little while, but, uh, Maybe someone right. could tell us. So IR means at least three games, right? And look, we've already gone on, or I've gone on this season and in the past of it, how Rodriguez in a top six role might actually be a, a good player. So he could be somebody who's handy to have. Um, I was just looking up the latest on Brian Rust. Yeah, all we know is that he missed two games. He's going to be out at least another because he's on IR. But I guess that's all we know. So uh, get Rodriguez in the meantime. Absolutely. Erod. Okay, so next up, let's go to Washington because we had a comment in uh, the live chat here right when we started, and I put this down for the end of the show. Uh, so our good friend K Towney suggested that Orlov is a beast. Talk about Dimitri. Come to Dimitri. And so I'm taking a look at why. And yeah, he just had a great game today. Had a goal and an assist, including a power play goal. Then I'm thinking, okay, so that's nice to get a power play goal from the second power play. Uh, nah, he's been playing. He's getting the bulk fist treatment. The second defenseman on the top power play, at least for today, it was Kuznetsov, Wilson, Ovechkin, Carlson, and Orlov getting 
uh, the majority of the power play time there as the top power play unit. So I like that. Uh, it's also not just one good game for Orlov. He also had a multi-point game against Montreal earlier in the week. Uh, he also had an assist in the game before that. So that adds up to five points in his last four games. So Orlov is heating up. If this, he's never, I don't know why Washington is changing things. I guess they have injuries and whatever. But like for as long as he's getting this power play deployment, that's a whole new role for him. He saw like 21 minutes of ice time today, including like four of them being on the power play. So I don't know. Uh, K-Town, he told me to. I'm doing it. You're already, I see, scoffing at me, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm happy with I, what I'm seeing. You know, you just say, I'm not scoffing. I'm really not. Like, it, you, I, I think you're anticipating the scoff. Uh, but I think you're still generally right about my take on Orlov. Cool. Um, we've seen this before, but you can pretty much set your watch to Orlov being a 30 to 35 point guy with a, a little bit of peripherals. Fun to add somebody when they're on a roll, but like, just that, Honestly, I'm I'm not even happy that two of his points, like two of the five points in his last four games are on goals. Like that's even like less encouraging to me. It's great that one's on the power play. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not buying in. But I think it's nice sometimes to just recognize that someone's doing this. Uh, so way to go, Dmitry Orlov. All right. Sorry, K-Towny, I tried. But I don't know. If, if I look at game day lines and I see that he's still skating on the top power play in the next game, that's going to be something that interests yeah. me. But by the way, another person that was there, I should mention, is this guy, Alexei Protas. Okay. I was just going to bring him up and say, like, if you were someone who rostered Alexei Protas, then maybe you would roster Dmitry Orlov. Yeah, well, Protoss is still playing on the top line with uh, Ovi and Kuznetsov, even if now he's been bumped by Orlov from the top power play. So we'll see what happens in the next Washington game. Uh, definitely follow Samantha Pell, or you don't have to follow Samantha Pell, but she's probably who we're going to end up retweeting when she tweets out Washington lines. One of our good line tweeters, like someone that I could always bank on whenever Washington is playing, they're going to have a practice, and Samantha Pell is going to be tweeting out the Washington lines for us uh, over at, at Game Day Lines. Uh, so, Brian, I think that's everything I had planned for today. Oh, no, I wanted to talk about a couple goalies. Oh, man. I got so much I want to talk to you about, Brian. It's hard to let you go. Really quick, okay? Over in Detroit, Alex Nedeljkovic has taken the starter's job in Detroit. I think it's done. We can say, at least for now, I think the competition is over between him and Grice. Nedeljkovic has gotten the last three starts. They've all been gems versus Arizona, St. Louis, and Buffalo. He now has a 918 save percentage on the season in 14 games. Don't forget that Nedeljkovic could still be a potential Calder candidate. Like, there's a lot of competition this year. There's a lot of players doing really well, so I don't know if he's going to get there. But I guess if he gets the volume of the starts and continues winning games for this Detroit team that is not supposed to win games, maybe he can get himself into the conversation. But anyways, regardless of that, he's only 54% rostered on Yahoo!, I feel like you want a starting goalie that has a 918 save percentage in any fantasy league. So grab him. There's no reason why he should be free agency anywhere. If he was dropped in any of my leagues, which I know is not going to happen, I think I'd like drop all my fab, most of my fab to grab him, especially if I need a goalie. But even if not, uh, do you concur? Like, I'm just, I just feel like this is a great situation. Uh, he's young, like Grice is old. Like, why aren't they going to just keep riding Nadelkovich since he's doing so well? Yeah, he's doing really well. And Nadelkovich, like, especially if you take out that first game of the season where he gave up seven goals on 48 shots, which is just a wild way to begin a new season with a new team. Nadalkovich is actually 926 on the whole season. And that, uh, that, that comes from him being uh, pretty good at even strength, but incredibly good on the penalty kill. So uh, like Elon, you're saying like, I might spend all my fab on him. I, I don't know that I would, but, I think he's good. Like he's playing just like slightly above his expected Fenwick save percentage at five on five, which is a good sign, especially after following up, uh, like a Calder worthy year last season. So, um, I'm, 
I think it's good. Like, let's definitely recognize that Nadalkovich seems to be taking over the crease in Detroit. I agree. Why wouldn't they let him? Why wouldn't they see how far this goes with Nadalkovich? And if he is available and you're looking for a starter with volume, he's a really good way to go. Yeah, I mean, I'm blowing all my fab because I need a goalie, especially in Kakuffle. That would be amazing for me because at some point, Jake Allen is going to lose his job to Carey Price. And at that point, I'm going to have an open goalie spot. And I'd love to get Nadelkovic. Message me, Nadelkovic manager. I'll be happy to trade for him. I'm sure that the asking price will be pretty high. By the way, Kate Towney City is pointing in the chat that in Vancouver's game where they just lost to Boston, Pedersen was benched. during a six on five opportunity to end the game. So he wasn't even there, even though Vancouver pulled the goalie. Not great. Only 13 minutes played overall. I'm looking at the lines. Pedersen was playing on a line with Justin Dowling and Vasily Podkolzin. He's a third liner. Uh, so this is another Sagan. This is another Suzuki, like a guy who we thought would be a superstar playing yeah. third line deployment. It sucks. I don't know. Maybe in yeah. a one year league, it's time to start considering letting go. Like, I think long term, I'd like to think he's still a star. Like, I, I have a lot more faith in him than like a Suzuki or a Sagan just because he's Elias Pettersson. I thought he was supposed to be amazing. I've seen him play. He's really good. I've watched games before, but this year, I don't know. Something's wrong. He sucks. Something is definitely wrong, and we've talked about it. But beyond, uh, like, like compared to those other guys you just mentioned him alongside, who was it? Sagan and. And Nick Suzuki. And Suzuki, yeah. Pedersen's actually the one I have the most faith in writing the ship at some point this season. But that's because of his name, right? It's just like because he's Elias Pedersen and we're, we've known him to be a star for longer, right? Or I guess Sagan well, we've known no, to be longer. we've known like... Sagan to be a star for a lot right. longer. So, uh, like, literally, because he's on... I'm not, I'm not, I Good won't one. go down the... Good he's one. a Dallas... Okay. Uh, but yeah, Pedersen, I, like, I think it's clearly... There's a coaching situation there that's not good. There's a lot of drama going on. And I think that that might be the place where, like, the the most might change. Like, Dallas and Montreal, I don't know how much is going to change or how much of an impact that will have. I feel like there could be some seismic change in Vancouver sometime in the next month or so. And that is going to be what Pedersen needs to step out of this. Uh, Fantasy Tidbits is saying in the chat that Chason had more time on ice in the third period than Pedersen. So that goes to show who Coach Green prefers to have on the ice. Not great. Okay. Uh, So to end the show, yeah, I was talking about Nedeljkovic and how he could still potentially be a Calder candidate. Now let's talk about uh, Vezna, a.k.a. Vezina candidate in Tristan Jari. Holy cow. The hottest goalie in the league right now. He's only led in two goals in his last five games. That's insane. It's like getting shutouts all the time, and if not letting in a single goal, he now has a 936 save percentage on the season in 17 games. That Pittsburgh game that I told you about on Saturday that I keep bringing up that Montreal won 6-3, that was to Smith in net, okay? If Jari was there, that wouldn't have happened, okay? I'm almost positive. Do you think that Jari will continue to stay in the Vesna conversation come the end of the season? Right now, I think he may... Uh, there's been a lot of great goalies, of course, but right now, I guess he's got to be the front runner. He looks really great at five on five. You know, Nadalkovic, I said, is just above average. Jerry's always hovered around being average uh, compared to his uh, expected save percentage. But this year, Jari is stepping up and above his expected save percentage, uh, which is 946. And he's putting up a 958 at five on five uh, Fenwick save percentage. So that's really great. He is also playing like crazy lights out. 
shorthanded, which is one of the reasons why like his overall save percentage is standing out as much as it is. Like the numbers on the penalty kill, uh, he's putting up a Fenwick save percentage of 964 compared to the expected 912. Like that's huge. It's a really big swing. So um, these are reasons why Tristan Jari is doing well, but we're also not that surprised that Tristan Jari is doing well. Like last year's playoffs were a real letdown, but we saw the, this regular season as a redemption opportunity that Jari is taking advantage of. So good for him and good for anybody who's got him. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Good job. And I wouldn't like sell high or anything like just ride it. Cause you never know what goal is. And right now he's doing great. I don't see why he couldn't keep it up to some extent at least. Uh, okay. So Brad, I think that's it. I've got it all. Like uh, I've got, here's some potential storylines for Ben and Lewis come Tuesday's show. Apparently Jack Hughes might be returning soon for New Jersey. So definitely we'll want them to report on that and what the lines are in New Jersey. Once that happens, uh, this Evander Kane thing that we talked about at the top. So he was waived by San Jose. I'm assuming no one's going to claim him. He's going to go to the minors and then i guess we have to now decide you know i have a feeling like if evander kane goes to the minors then if he plays well then the sharks will bring him up at some point like if they're paying him all that money they might as well get use out of him if he's doing well but anyway we'll we'll leave that for short shifts uh in the meantime thanks everyone for watching in the chat we hope you uh, enjoyed your live experience you could come join us for our live shows every sunday night at keepingcarlson.com slash live everyone who's listening moi thank you we really appreciate you being a listener and especially being the type that listens all the way through the full two hours uh we really hope you enjoyed the show if you did enjoy the show we'd love for you to give us that five star review on apple Podcasts, and you could enter yourself into that contest to win a sweet piece of keeping carlson merch if you want to support the show beyond giving us that review we do still have our patreon program up and running and at full force right we've got a great team of people helping to make our community as great as anyone can be right over on discord brian and i are there answering advice questions along with like so many other smart patrons like ben and lewis and and dave but then also just like once you get in there you'll start to get to know who all the really like big brain people are that are always coming up with really great answers to questions and just having really fun chats it's a great time over in our patron discord community and you could join that and get a bunch of other perks and you can get all the information on how to become a patron of Keeping Carlson over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Hot tip, today is November 28th. If you're listening to this, uh, wait until December 1st and because you only get charged on the first of every month so to avoid being charged twice you know like sign up december 1st and then you won't get charged for a whole month it's like you're getting a one month free trial so why not come become a patron hang out with us keepingcarlson.com slash patron but with that brian i think we are done here so let's cue the outro music and then you could go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons especially our super supporters over on patreon patty rob david Derek, tom andrea christopher and flash thank you so much for your support thank you to cacupful coordinator kevin a bear and our team of cacupful co-commissions you can find out more about the league at kkupfl.com and join the waitlist to take over a team by becoming a patron thank you to shams benamore for keeping the amazing stream of fantasy news rolling on our twitter account at game day lines at game day news nhl and at game day goalies logo art by brandon weeb Com, outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dopper Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dopper Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, NBC Sports Edge, and Yahoo. Yahoo, indeed. Uh, great job, Brian. Uh, just to whine a little bit more, I'm just looking now, and I have the third highest number of points right now in my division, but I'm still losing to the person who has the most points. 
Oh, now I'm going to be four and three? That's not the record that leads to uh, Ultimate Championship? Come on, Elon. Get better. Arr. Okay, maybe I have to go back and re-listen to this show and really take heart of everything you said. Maybe I could do better next week. I'm actually against Ben next week, so that's going to be a, a wild ride. I'm excited to hear Ben hopefully tilting on these next couple episodes of Short Shifts that will be coming up and not bragging. Uh, so yeah, enjoy those shows that are coming. That's going to come into your feed. Then Brian and I are going to be back with another episode next Sunday. So you want to just be subscribed to Keeping Carlson to get all the free content that we give to you, okay? Uh, so, hope you like the show. Once again, great job, Brian. Looking forward to talking to you in a week. I'm also looking forward to that. And between this week and next, you and I will definitely be doing all we can. And we invite everyone else to do the same to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.